Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Psychic Thoughts. I hope you're all doing well today. I sure am. I'm finally getting a day off. It's been busy. Family, Thanksgiving, traveling, and all the likes, and it's only going to get busier throughout the rest of this year, but I'm about to be a college graduate, so that's pretty exciting, though I may die from the stress of it, but we will see what happens in the future. I have a new album out. Go check out Phoenix when and where you get a chance, and if you don't, I will come to your house, and I will strip you naked and make you listen to it anyway. Now, getting into it, let's talk about a game I haven't talked about in, like, fuck, four or five months now? Jesus, I feel kind of bad. I was like, I'm going to make this an ongoing series, and I didn't. I kind of did, but then I fell off. In my defense, I played other games, so. And it's still a series because I'm continuing it even this far into it, which is really not that far. It hasn't even been a full six months. Wow. Guys, it has been a long and busy six months. I have been through so much. I got a new short film on the way, so get your wallets ready because I'm going to need some rounds of GoFundMe money. I'm not kidding. I will get to that point later. Um, and I'll let you know more in the future. Go check out my Instagram, Psychic34. Go check out my TikTok and everything else that I've published. Check out my music, all the likes. Once again, I appreciate all the support from listening to this. I hope you have a, a good day, and I hope you enjoy what I'm about to say. I want to get into and continue my thoughts on Diablo 4. Part 4. We're already here. Part 4. Goddamn. There's going to be more than four parts. Don't worry. It's been about five months. It's now late November. We're about to hit December, so fuck it. Let's round up. It's December. It's not, but we're going to round up anyway and say it is. It's literally December in like four or five days. So um, Diablo has been out for almost six months. Not that long, come to think of it. There have been three seasons. There will be a fourth in mid-January. And there will be paid DLC expansion next year, I think. I think they said next year. Not so sure about how that's all going to play out, but we'll see. So I want to talk about my most recent past five months of experience because I've still been playing Diablo 4. I've had a blast with it and of the past week, along with Meet Your Maker, which is another podcast episode I'm working on currently, I have... Which is a great game, and I'll obviously, if that podcast episode is out before this or if it's out later, I'm recording them at the same time and I'm going back and forth. I usually don't do that, but I've got a lot of catching up to do and I've got the time to talk about video games for now. So, yeah, definitely keep an eye out for that one because that'll be kind of cool. But for now, we're going to talk about Diablo 4. And what all has happened since I last discussed it? First and foremost, I don't remember. <laughs> Remnant 2 came out around the time I slowed down my consumption of Diablo 4, but I was still playing it with friends consistently. It was over the summer while I was visiting my girlfriend, I do remember that. And I assume that's when I recorded the episode when I was alone in the room. I will be visiting her again in the winter in a different place because she's got a new job. Yay, good for her. I'm very proud of her. Anyway, so here we go. Um, also, hey, go check out my film episode. I, I have an episode where I talk about the make what it's like to make a film. It's probably my best podcast episode. It's long. I'll warn you, it's long, but it's worth it. That's what she said. All right, now let's get into it. Diablo 4. What all has changed? 
listen, if you're one of the people that like continuously listens to every episode and is like, oh, I wonder what he thinks now of Diablo. I've heard every other part where he's discussed it. The reason why this is an ongoing episode series for Diablo is one, I play it enough to warrant that. So there's that. Two, it's a type of game that is evolving rapidly. And to some people, to their chagrin, they might say, ah, no, it's not. It's not changing enough. Oh, I did not do it. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. In the past six months, it has gone through a metric fuck ton of changes. Not just from the surface level of a cosmetic change. Of course, it has had that too. But also from core gameplay elements. And it's only proven to get better as we go along further. God willing. You have to keep in mind Diablo launched at the worst possible time for Activision Blizzard to be fucking releasing full games. Especially a game with such a history and with such a franchise establishment and with such a long wait. We're talking about a game that has taken 10 years to come up to with a sequel. And while it's great, and I do recall my initial thoughts when I first talked about it, I was like, Holy fuck, guys, not only is it fun, not only does it look good, not only does it play well, minus the server issues that are no longer really an issue, not only that, but it has a metric fuck ton of content just from the jump. You have to give them credit where credit is due. That, yeah, there are AAA problems at play currently that plague the game. Absolutely. And I'm not saying we can't, you know, acknowledge that. We definitely can and we should. There are issues with this game. It is not perfect. There are problems with it. Nothing that can't be fixed. And also, the fact that it launched with this much fucking content from the jump is indicative of the quality that Blizzard still tries to uphold, regardless of if Daddy Activision is swinging its big dick and fucking it in the rear to where they can't do anything but cry and think about the better days back in time. So, that's what I want to get into it. Once again, this is always an off the top, so please keep that in mind. I am making this shit up as I... I'm not making it up. I'm thinking of it as I... I'm saying it as I think of it. I'm not just completely fabricating this, but I am pulling from personal experience, which is 85% of everything, and then I'm also pulling it from research and other things I've done. Sometimes I can quote... Quote? Quote? I wish I could make quotes. Sometimes I can quote my sources. Sometimes I can't. I usually try to, but if I can't, please feel free to always validate and look up the information on your own time through unbiased and factually correct sources. Okay, let's get into this. Diablo 4, my continuation of my initial thoughts, I guess, which is no longer initial, <laughs> definitely not initial, my thoughts on Diablo 4, part 4. Here we go. Alrighty, so, what all has changed in Diablo 4? Like I said, I don't exactly remember where I left off five months ago. But I can say this, I believe when I recorded the last episode, I strictly remember that like 45 minutes of that fucking episode was me complaining about, Oh my god, they're nerfing shit. I had a problem with it. I had a problem with it because, uh, one, the community had a problem with it, so I figured, well, fuck it, might as well figure out what the community is so upset about. And then once I learned why they're upset about it, I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Um, it is an issue. It is most definitely an issue when you think about what they did. So 
sometimes, in a, and this is more true to a live service game than it is any other form of video games, when a developer has an update, a patch, a change in their game, that isn't inherently the singular worst thing that could have been done to the game. It may have some downsides. It may have some upsides. It's not all bad usually, but, you know, it may overall be worse than good. Those things happen. People make mistakes. You can't you can't harsh the development team for not knowing better. But what it what the problem that came from it wasn't the fact that it wasn't an ideal decision. That's part of it, sure. No, the bigger issue that people had with their nerfing so many core mechanics is that they are effectively changing all, not just some, not just one or two overpower things, all of the meta of the game. And that's where people are like, okay, this is ridiculous. Because if you're just changing things willy-nilly, right, because people spend hours, hundreds of hours carefully crafting and developing a build that is suitable to their playstyle and something that they personally enjoy and have fun with. And so when the developers just arbitrarily go, ah, yeah, it's not as powerful now. And you're like, what the fuck? I just spent 70 hours to get to this point. You can understand why people would be frustrated. I was frustrated too. They nerfed the shit out of everything I was doing. But that's not just about me again. They nerfed the shit out of everyone. That's the problem. It was such a drastic nerf that it so, so badly damaged every main core component of how to do damage. A little bit on the armor and defensive when you make a build, but for the most part, it really slashed the ability to output high multiplicative values of damage on your enemies, which of course is a problem. Listen, Diablo is known for not being realistic. Why? Well, because one, it's not real. And two, um, it's design is to give that sense of power while still providing challenge and a grind. And I think a lot of people enjoy that, myself included. That's part of the draw of Diablo. It's that you can become as powerful as you as you want, but you gotta work for it, right? It's a simple mechanic that many video games have been doing for time and time again, except the difference is Diablo changed the industry when they figured out how they, excuse my dog clickety-clackety, he will be doing that. So if you hear it, that's my dog wanting attention. Isn't it, though? Um... So, my point is that, oh, by the way, just for those of you who may not know already, I record on my phone. I know, it's not the best audio quality. You would think, if I'm a sound designer, I would know better. I do know better. I'm just lazy. I'm tired, and I don't quite have the time to record this long of a podcast episode and then carefully edit it. So, not only is this an off-the-top, this is unedited. I think a lot of people understand that after a while. The only edits, if you will, is when I cut it for the next segment. Just so you know, I'm still going off the top. I'm not rearranging things. Usually, sometimes I rearrange segments when I realize it's way out of whack. But that's it. I don't go, I don't trim things, I don't edit things out. (laughs) You know what I mean? So, I apologize. I am recording this on my phone. I walk around when I talk. And I will run out of breath because I'm talking for two to three hours straight. 
and I'm trying to make myself entertaining, engaging, I'm trying to stay on topic. So, yeah, if the audio quality is a little much or if you start to hear me breathe a little heavier, just understand I'm walking and talking most of the time when I do this. It's good breath control. And considering I'm a rapper and a lyricist at that, I am good with breath control. There are other people who I know who would be very, very, very hard to listen to when doing this format. They would be struggling. So, I don't know why. I feel like most of you who are still listening to this point, thank you. And I appreciate all the love and support as always. One of these days, I'm going to set up a new type of podcast thing. I'm going to keep doing this as always, but I'm going to do a new podcast thing that I'm kind of thinking of right now. Nothing concrete. And once I do, I think you guys are going to be really excited about how that might change some stuff. So, yeah. Um, anyway, back on track with Diablo 4. So Diablo had this huge nerf. And that was the last thing I was really uh, twisting the knife in about. Now, this was before their season of fuck, Blood, I think it was. Season 2? 1? Technically 1? Because there's the preseason... The glory days, before we had any massive changes. This was the the one with the blood shit. I, I don't... No, not the blood. We're in the blood now. <laughs> Malignant. Season of the Malignant. That's what it was. Ooh, your Lord, that was a while ago. Season of the Malignant. Season of the Blood started October 17th, so we're only a month and so into the new season, and I do want to talk about that, because I'm actually having a blast with this season. Um, season of the Malignant, that was the first season of Diablo 4. It came out, it came out with a bunch of new updates and additions and stuff, and that's all cool. For context, and as of those who listened to previous episodes about this topic know, I played the fuck out of this game. I still do. I love this game dearly. It's one of my favorite games of the year, and it's going to be a game I continue to play for the ongoing future. And I'll talk about the ongoing future later. So, here's the thing. One, I played so much of Diablo 4 when it first came out. I was, first of all, folks, you gotta understand something about me. I loved Diablo 3 a lot. It was my first introduction to Diablo. I really got into it, and... That's pretty much it. I played it alone during COVID. I was, I know, I was late to the game. I was late to it. But I loved it. I got into it. I really enjoyed it. And I'm like, this is dope. So, of course, a new Diablo. On the heels of it coming out. When everyone else is playing it. And I can have friends who can get into it. Two of my friends who have never touched Diablo. Never thought about touching it. And I begged, and I pleaded, and I cried, and I waited, and I wished. And they were still like, no, I'm not going to get it. I'm like, listen, fucker, if you don't get it, I'm going to lose my shit. Because I know you like this game. I know you will like this game. And you just have to trust me. I'm good at what I do. And uh, there's only three things that I'm good at doing. First thing is filmmaking. Second thing is rapping. And the third thing is being a good friend and a good partner in life to my significant other. But then the fourth thing is I am not good at video games, I'm good enough at them. I'm good at making suggestions for the third point, my friends. So, when I say, hey, you're gonna fucking love this game, trust me. Now, when I say, oh, let's try this game out, because I do that all the time. I'm that person in the friend group 
who's like, well, actually, this is how the game is supposed to be played. I'm really fucking annoying about it. But I'm not doing it or saying stuff like that to be annoying. I'm saying it to prevent a fucking headache in the future. Right? Now, I'm not saying that my friends have got to play it the way that it is designed. That's not the point of video games. I don't care if they go off and do that. But they got to understand that they can do it the right way first. Or that it's there for a reason. And then if they want to test the boundaries or try something new, by all means, fuck around and find out. I don't care. Right? But I'm the one who nerds over video games. I'm the one who does the research, and I'm the one that can comprehend and synthesize the information real fucking quick. It is a superpower. Gotta love autism. So, I try to use that to my ability. And there are certain games that I am more passionate about than others, right? So... When Diablo 4 came out, I begged my friends. I'm like, listen, listen, I know we play Game Pass games, and technically Activision Blizzard is about to be bought by Microsoft, and this game will soon go on Game Pass by the next year, so if you really don't want to get it, we can play it next year, and it'll be no problem. See, breath control isn't an amazing thing. Anyway, I know I could, we could do all that, but in totality, no, not, not, not that word. In reality, I would love to play this now, because it's just coming out. There's no reason not to. I'm going to buy it. I'm going to be playing it. And I would love for you and you and all my friends who I try to get to get this game. I'd love for you guys to play it. Because one, once you get over the learning curve of about two hours, you're going to love this game. And two, that's it. (laughs) There's not a need for a second point. You're just going to love the fucking game and want to play it. That's it. I think that's worth the $70. Also, there's this interesting psychology when it comes to purchasing a game versus downloading a game. And I want to point that out. I have no problem downloading a game. I'm more than happy. But when we download stuff for free, we're more inclined to be allowed to drop out and not finish it or not see it through to its final state because we never purchased it. Right? It's a pretty simple thought. And it is. It's a simple thought process. If you don't pay for it, you don't feel as obligated to have to play it, to have to finish it, right? Whereas if you pay for it, you feel more obligated. But I want a couple things to be understood. One, that isn't true. You don't have to play it. If you buy a game and you end up not liking it, that's okay. That is the unfortunate inherent risk of being a video game hobbyist. You will buy a game, you will try it. Because it doesn't matter how many reviews, it doesn't matter if your friends tell you this or that. There are certain games that might, in on paper, should work for you, or maybe shouldn't, and they end up doing the exact opposite. It's just random, and it's only once the controller's in your hands. Some games are good, and you might like them, but you might not click with them, and you might need to put it down and not think about it, and then come back around a year later, two years later, hell, fucking eight years later, I don't know, and then realize, oh, yeah, shit, this is cool. We change, our tastes change over time, that's okay. I can tell you confidently that there are, there is a one, at least one, if not two, games that each of my friends that I've gotten them introduced to, that they have fallen in love with, or that they've learned to appreciate over time, at least one or two games for each of my friends where they would not have tried that on their own because it wasn't their taste or it wasn't something they realized could be their taste. So I had a buddy 
and he knows I'm talking about him. He's probably giggling right now. I have a buddy who did not want to buy Diablo 4. He was so fucking stubborn. He's like, I'm not getting it. I'm like, hey, fucker, if you don't get it, you're gonna be you're gonna be walking on eggshells. I will I will find you and I will install this game on your console for you. Do not be mistaken. I will brute force my way into your life for this game. It is not the greatest game ever made, and I wasn't telling him he it will be his favorite game ever, but I knew for a fact he would enjoy it. And I knew he'd enjoy it enough to make it worth the money that he puts in to buy it. Every day for two months. No, I'm not going to buy it. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm like, fucker, we're having fun over here. What are you doing? I know you'll like this game. You just got to give it a chance. And the reason why specifically I knew he would like this game even more so than other games that sometimes I try to push him and I realize, yeah, no, actually this won't be for him. I'm just, I just want him to play it because I want to play it with him, but I'm, I'm overexcited. The reason why I realized it, because he kept saying, oh, the graphics look shitty. And I'm like, what the fuck are you on? And it occurred to me, because he told me once, he said, I played the first Diablo, or the second one, or whichever one. I think it was the first one he said. He played it, or his dad played it, or his brother, or someone, not brother, one of his siblings played it, or a best friend, or I don't fucking know, cousin, who the hell knows. Someone played it in his life when he was younger, when he was like middle school or high school age, right? Like maybe seventh grade to ninth grade sort of thing. And he saw someone play it, and even though it was an older game, they were probably playing the remastered version. And it didn't grab him. He didn't like the style. He thought it was kind of grainy and all that shit, right? That's fair. I get that. And I'm like, hey, fucker. It's maybe because you were watching a game that was being played by someone else and a game that was designed 25 fucking years ago. Did you ever think about that? <laughs> or 30 years ago. It's like, of course it doesn't look as good. And so I begged him to get the open beta. I begged him. There's a two-day open beta. I played it. I had a blast. I was already pretty sure I was going to buy Diablo 4, but I wasn't 100% sure, so I liked that I was able to play the beta and get a feel for it. I'm like, okay, yeah. And that sold it for me. And I played it on PC, and I, I kind of want it on PC just for that graphic clarity, but it really doesn't matter. Um, I bought it on console because I'm moving around so much. I'm traveling so much, so my console's easier to take places and still play the games I really want to play. Um, so anyway, I enjoyed it. I knew I was going to get it right then and there. I don't think I pre-ordered it. I still waited on it. And I actually talked about that in the podcast when I was debating it. Did I get the Delonda? I don't know what I was stressing about. Probably just the finances of it. Which version to get? Is it worth the digital deluxe to play three? That was it. I was like, I'm having a really rough summer. It was a really rough summer. It was one of the most odd and difficult summers I've had in the past few years this summer in June when I was when Diablo first came out, which was coincidentally June sixth. Yeah, six six, twenty-three. Um Mock the Devil. If only it came out in two thousand six. Um so yeah, it's just one of those things. I was having a rough summer and I was just trying to cope and figure out, okay, well I deserve this. I deserve this for me. I deserve this to relax. I've had a long enough year. I've had a long enough summer. I'm going through shit right now. And I've earned this. Literally. Financially, I earned it. I was doing some extra work on the side to pay for it. And then also, uh, you know, sometimes we have to convince ourselves it's okay to relax. It's okay to let go. 
because we've been doing enough. And I have that problem. And as my friends know, I have that problem because I'll be like, yeah, 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 I'm, I'm chill. <laughs> Some of my friends will text me like, are you chilling today? Especially my girlfriend. She'll text me like, are you relaxing today? I'm like, uh, was I supposed to be? And she's like, well, no, but you said you were going to today, yesterday or whenever, a few days ago, and you're not. And I'm like, oops. You know, I think that's what happens when you're creative, when you're trying to keep a multiple brands afloat, right? Psychist Productions, the Psychic brand, a couple of things. You know, balancing school, being a filmmaker, being a rapper, doing all these things that I do, as well as doing stuff on the side, social media, marketing, promo, post-sound editing, all this stuff I do for pay, for the art, for the love of it, to help others. It's a balancing act, and it's a lot of work. And it's the kind of work that doesn't ever rest. It never, it never really has a deadline. It never, I mean, some of it does. I got a new movie I'm working on. It's stressing me out. But, you know, it's, it's not finished. It's always something new that I'm working on. And it's exciting, and I enjoy doing it. Don't get me wrong. I'm not pleading for mercy. I'm not saying, oh, woe is me. Not, not at all. I enjoy this. I thrive off of it. But it's a balancing act and I have to allow myself to chill. And at a time where there's a lot of things going on in my personal life, it was hard to figure out when I allow myself to chill and when I allow myself to focus on what needs to be focused on. And I managed it and I got through it and I'm proud of myself for doing so. And that's sometimes what video games can offer. They offer an escape. right? They're entertaining, they're storytelling, they're all that. And they're fun. But they're also an escape. They're an interactive and engaging way for you to force yourself to not worry about life and to just enjoy some of the things that you do want to do in life. I'm a gamer. I have more value out of playing video games than some. I understand that. Not everyone enjoys playing video games the same way I do. That's completely okay. Right? I'm a filmmaker. I love watching movies. It's the same thing with that. And I'm a rapper. I love listening to hip-hop. Thank God I'm not a game developer. Because in this trajectory, everything that I really love to consume, I eventually love and become able to create. And now that I'm learning Unreal Engine 5, it's getting dangerously close for me becoming a video game developer. If I had a little more time and I was a little smarter, I absolutely would become a video game developer. I, I might. I'm not actually ruling it out. I'm the type of person that tries a million things before I can figure out if I really am sticking with it. I've done... Everything under the sun at some point, almost. I mean, I'm still young and I still got so many things I haven't done, but I've done a lot of shit in my life. I've tried it for a little bit, I'm like, ah, the same for me. Or, eh, maybe another time, right? But video game development, I haven't even. Nope, too scary. But I do want to try it at some point, or I want to try to find a way to be a part of the video game creation side of things, because I think it's a really dope thing. And I understand video games from the level of a consumer and from connecting things. And I think this podcast is evidence of that. Anyway, I went way off tangent there. But I was trying to get my friend to get Diablo 4, right? So it was June. I pussied out. I'm like, I gotta have those three days early. Once again, it was a really rough time. I'm like, fuck it. Every extra day counts. So I did. I splurged. I paid $10 more. Or 20 Oh, 10 I had $10 extra, uh, Xbox uh, credit. Whew. That's also why it made it easier to decide to get that. 
it was it wasn't twenty dollars more it was ten dollars more for me i didn't know at the time and i recall talking about this i didn't know at the time when i was first getting the game if because when you got the deluxe edition it comes with the season one i wasn't sure if season one would include rewards that make you more powerful or it's just cosmetic so i was like fuck it it only gave you three days early in season one cosmetics um, season one premium pass. Premium pass was dope. It was purely cosmetic. It had no, no actual effect on the, uh, gameplay, but that's okay. So I still had a blast. The game had a shit ton of content from Jump, and I played it to death. As you guys know, I jumped around and played a lot of different character builds. And I learned something about myself in that duration. I learned that I'm a motherfucker that will try a lot of different things, not just in life, but in a video game. Because I am a type of gamer who wants things to be new. I think that's what has allowed me to be so patient with a live service model. I'm not actually fully against it. I have a whole episode about the live service gaming model. I don't think the live service model is the best model, uh, the way it's being implemented right now. I do think that's the, that is a problem with it, but I, but ultimately, um, I really do, how do I say this? I like the intent of it. I like the idea, the, the positives of it, um, to me are a good possibility, if anything, that doesn't actually mean that they always are true to what they should be, but it sure as shit means that they, they come close. And what I mean by that is that free content updates, that, that when I was a kid, that wasn't a thing. To get content updates the size of what would have cost money, additional money, at the time, it was a no-brainer. Yeah, okay, we'll pay 5 bucks more, 10 bucks more, 25 bucks, 30 bucks more, because we're getting that much more of a game. And, of course, you only did that if you loved the game enough, right? So the game had to earn your time and respect within that merit. And then, if you're still playing the fucking game by then, or you've played it to death and you're pining for more, that DLC was a good in-between because it allowed you to be able to consume new content without having to wait entirely years and years and years and years for a new sequel. If, God willing, there's an Elden Ring 2 that were to come out from, from software, it's not coming out to like 2026 to 2028. I, I just don't see it being able to do that. It took them that long to develop the game and they haven't even come out with the DLC. The game's been out for almost two years. By February, it will be two full years. Because it came out late February 2022. So... We don't even have a DLC yet. I assume we'll get a DLC announcement, gameplay trailer, or something of the likes with a potential release date attached to it um, December at the Game Awards, so soon, within the next couple weeks. God willing. Please, Lord. Please. And then we will get it most likely February on the anniversary or around then 
or March because they like March a lot. Um, so something like that. So yeah, that's pretty much where it's at. So DLC used to be like that. And now with this live service model, oh, you get content, cosmetics, updates, fixes, balancing issues, all that within months. And sure, you could pay for premium cosmetics, but they're just cosmetics. They don't affect the gameplay. Everyone gets stuff equally. It's not the worst system ever. It needs improvement desperately. And it needs to be carefully considered on where and how it's being implemented. And I don't think... I don't think Diablo's the worst defender of it. Diablo 4, that is. Immortal, whole different story. But we're not going to talk about that today. Um, so they've had a multiple seasons. Now, I want to point something out. The seasons are not that great. I'll be honest. I'm not going to cap here. They're not that great. They're not terrible. And honestly, they're free, so they're really nothing to scoff at too much because it's not like you're losing anything. You're really not. In fact, they're kind of fun. The things that do happen in the seasons are pretty impressive, so it's not all bad. But I'm just saying, aesthetically, content-wise, new content-wise, it's not that much. But the seasons are also vessels to package quality-of-life improvements in a game. And sometimes that's way more exciting than the new content, especially if there's not much new content, because the game is already really good and it's got enough content, but it's making it hard to enjoy that when there's some quality of life hindrances at play. And so when the game fixes those, or takes large strides or starts to telegraph that they will start to fix those issues that we've been addressing or that we've thought of before or experienced then it's much more exciting to be a part of that community. So, yeah. I think that's a... Yeah, I think that's something important to understand. So it's not completely 100% perfect. So we have Seasons of the Malignant and Seasons of Blood. So uh, let me go over them real quick. Seasons of the Malignant. Alright, so what it did is it dropped a new quest line. Okay, I got cut off there. Apologies. So, Seasons of the Malignant. It had this really odd way of just adding some quest lines. Adding a seasonal progression to it. Of course, adding the cosmetic battle pass. That was kind of it. I mean, it didn't add much else. It added one thing, and this kind of, you know, circles back into what I was saying earlier about the nerfs. Yeah, that's right. Okay. I'm remembering now. It's coming to me more clear now. 
I the last time I did it was before any of the seasons. Jesus. So we've had two seasons. So all my podcasts were preseason about this game. Yikes. So we got some fucking catching up to do. I apologize, people. All right, here we go. It was like a week before the first season came out, the malignant one, I think. Anyway, so the seasons of Malignant came out, and it offered this this new endgame boss. They claimed a couple, but I, I I don't think that's the case. But anyway, I never got to that, so I can't confirm nor deny. But um, it offered a few endgame bosses, and, and and then the nerfs, right, that I was talking about in the beginning. Those critical fucking nerfs that just fucked everything over. The damage, the, the, the destroyed people's builds. I said this in the episode when I was complaining about it. I said, I don't like this. I don't like what this means to the community. And then I had a huge, huge qualifier to it that I tacked on to the end, if I do recall. If I do recall correctly. I don't know why I went full Southern there. If I recall correctly, I said, however, they are about to do a full fucking seasonal update in a couple days. So my theory is they were nerfing that shit because first balancing but two also because they're adding an element that will drastically change the way damage and power is scaled so they're nerfing it so when they add these elements it doesn't break the fucking game and ding 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 right on the money that's exactly why they did that now they actually went a little overboard with the nerfing, and they even admitted it. And so in the full season update, they tweaked some of the main issues that they were doing where they were punishing. Because <sighs> balancing a game is tricky, right? Nerfing is, of course, to take away and to dampen, and to buff is to add or strengthen, right? And so it's a balancing act, and it's not inherently always good. Ner- buffing isn't always good and nerfing isn't always good they are good for different reasons depending on what is being done at what time a certain gun that you may love but is drastically underpowered for this and that reason being buffed might be a huge plus to you and may allow that game that i'm sorry that gun to be thrown into the multiplayer circulation more right because it might be more picked now But then again, maybe your favorite gun that you thought wasn't the most popular, but still semi-popular, got nerfed so badly to the point where you don't even feel like you want to play with it anymore. Right? And, like, that happens most commonly in COD, right? That can happen in the same update. <laughs> it's almost forcing you to switch it up and change a new to a new gun, a new playstyle, right? The best types of balancing patches are done when they listen to the entirety of the community, the pulse, the, the flow of what the community is getting at, and prioritize what the community really wants. Then prioritize, of course, some of the mechanical things that need polishing and improvement. Okay, so what was happening under the hood that a lot of people didn't realize, and something I knew that was happening, because as soon as they threw those patch notes out there, I saw that, I'm like, wait a second. they're not nerfing these. They're just doing something they should have done way before, but they waited because they were in preseason mode. Okay, so in a game development for a multiplayer game, when they're in beta, you know, they're doing quality of life, bugs, technical glitches, hiccups, right? All of that. They're stress testing the server. It's a multi-pronged approach to handling a lot of issues. 
by letting a lot of people play it for a brief amount of time. It's an ingenious method for covering your bases, and it usually does a lot of good for the devs and for the community and for the consumer because you then know that this is almost a finished product minus a few tweaks and bumps into the equation. But other than that, it's a pretty surefire finished product. So you, by that point, know if you're going to want to actually purchase and play that game. So all around, it's a win-win-win. Sometimes betas are abused, but nonetheless, they're not the worst in the world. They're usually a good thing, right? So you have that. You have early access. You have early alpha testing. You have beta testing. you got so many phases of figuring out when the game is good. But now with this live service model, games and game devs, and there's a new system beyond the just general building of the fucking game itself, which is hard enough. It's then preseason, season one, and season two and on. Okay, so preseason. Preseason, you have to understand, it's not a basketball reference. We're talking video games here, folks. Preseason nowadays is that very, very brief window between the launch of the game and season one of its live service model before it starts doing all the cosmetics, the battle pass, the season pass, the additions, the quest lines, the whatever the fuck is in the season. It's right before that. It's the base vanilla game before anything is added onto it. Right? And it's important to understand when you're in a pre-season of a game because when you are, nothing is sacred except the foundation of the game code itself. Obviously, they're not going to delete the game from your fucking, from the store, right? Selling too many copies and too many people are playing it. But other than that, everything is subject to being adjusted. Not deleted, not completely, you know, retroactively destroyed or changed too much, but to be balanced because they're doing everything before the season, before season one, before their commercial marketability point, before they try to introduce more people, all that. It's basically an expanded soft test phase. That's what it is. It's like soft launching a product that you've paid for. (laughs) So everything that happened in season zero, if you will, the pre-season phase to season one, that swath of nerfs and a handful of buffs, by the way, there's still a shit ton of buffs. It just, it felt like the nerfs outweighed the buffs, so it was more dramatic. But there was a lot of changes. I mean, we're talking eight pages worth of changes in balancing alone. That's not even counting the seasonal content that was added in this season one. And this patch came out two to three days before the full season came out. Because then they had even a few more balances and tweaks, actually, in response to the community as well, which is really cool to see that they listened. Here's the thing. They were always planning to do that. The amount of changes that they had when they announced it, and I saw that, I'm like, oh, fuck. (laughs) They're adjusting their numbers properly for the first time. You might think, well, why the fuck didn't they do that at launch? They didn't have the data. They did not aggregate enough data in Diablo to know the damage multiplied, multiplying factors. Almost a multiplicative. That, that doesn't work in the sentence. Anyway, they didn't look at... They, they didn't have all the data on their numbers and on their damage output, damage input, all that shit. They didn't have all that ironed out because they didn't have enough players playing the fucking game for long enough to figure out what is good and what is bad. 
that's what that preseason was. Yeah, a beta is good for testing the hardcore crashes, the bug fixes, the general balances, the gameplay ability, not the fine-tuning of these mechanics. And the reason why Diablo so much more heavily relies on this mechanic, unlike COD, because Diablo is not an annualized game. This is the first Diablo that's come out in 10 years. Things have changed. And to top all that off, it's a fucking huge game. There are so many enemies. It's the first time Diablo's gone fully open world, and there is so much gear. There's five, five, five classes, and within those classes, you've got multiple different playstyles you mix and match. Then you have the paragons. Then you have the aspects. Then you have the legendary and the more unique gear that you find. Then you have the amulets, the perks, the this, the that. There are so many statistical things and variables at play. That it's a fucking nightmare to figure out how to balance. So their numbers are not going to be correct for the first three months. They are aggregating that data and on the back end they're figuring out how to adjust these numbers in one fell swoop. So it's kind of like ripping off a, ba a band-aid. You got to fucking do it because you got to clean your bandage. But you don't want to. But you know you're going to have to. And as soon as you get it off, it sucks, it stings, it's a motherfucker. You apply that new bandage on, and then everything starts to heal over time. This is the same exact problem Rainbow Six Siege ran into. And I wish I could have figured that out sooner. I wish I could have had the foresight to say, hey, wait a second, I know this pattern. But I didn't, because I was mad, and I was speaking from emotion, because those nerfs were affecting my gameplay ability as well. It was too heavy on the nerfs. I'm not excusing them for that. They went way too overboard. They could have parsed it out a little better, and they didn't have to be so aggressive, and they did overcompensate. In hindsight, I understand why they overcompensated it because of the malignant hearts, which I'll get to in a second, for season one. But, regardless of any of that, Rainbow Six Siege ran into this issue way back when for... As some of you Rainbow Six veterans, and you get your card, you get to come to the dinner table for me, and we'll, we'll kick it and have a good time. If you know this reference, Operation Health. That's right. I'm triggering your fucking PTSD. The entire Rainbow Six community at the time of Operation Health, which is when, this was within the first year of them doing post-content launch updates. It's like 2016, I think. I think it was season three of 2016, if not maybe... A little, little later into the, into the life cycle. Nonetheless, it was super early into the Rainbow Six life cycle. And people lost their mind. Because initially, when they said Operation Health, people were like, Oh, cool, we get a new healing operator. Nope. And then we come to find out, Oh, what? We don't get any operator? You guys just set up this entire system where we get a new map and two new operators. And with those operators, they got new guns, new gadgets, all that. And that's the updates to the game. And then quality of life and bug fixes and all that, of course, with it. Um, that was the pattern. That was the established precedent. And it is not to be broken with. It's sacred, especially in Rainbow Six. It's keeping the game alive. The game is a great game in of itself. But it needs these updates over time to allow more people to play it. To allow new things to explore and try and to fix old issues. So Operation Health. And they're like, we're doing this not because of the current rainbow. Current rainbow's fine, but for the future rainbow. And everyone's like, what the fuck? You're only a year or two into this bitch. Maybe it's year three. Still, it's like, you're only a few years into this motherfucker. 
What's you worried about the future? The next 10 years? Fuck, let's make it to the next five. You know? I understand a lot of people are upset. I wasn't mad at all. <laughs> Once again, got cut off, but here we are. So, the seasons, all that. So, Operation Health for Rainbow Six Siege. I know I'm on a tangent here, but I gotta continue this because it's, it's a good point. So, Operation Health, people were losing their motherfucking minds over it. Oh my god, we're not getting operated. I'm like, guys, listen to what they're saying. They're fixing the fucking game. <laughs> Why are you so upset? And they're like, well, we're not getting the content we were promised. I'm like, first of all, dipshits, we weren't promised anything this season. It's not a contract. It's a, oh, well, shit, hopefully they release something this season. It's a good rule of thumb that they would, but they said they won't. As soon as they, they teased it, and unfortunately they teased it and they made people think it was going to be a real content-filled update. It wasn't. And as soon as they announced it wasn't, they announced all the shit they're fixing. It's a lot. It was a lot. It was a lot of issues that were going wrong with Rainbow. Technical issues. Quality of life improvements. And the reason why it, it took an entire season, what would be in, in a massive content. I mean, the seasons in Rainbow are not to compare to the seasons in Diablo. The seasons in Rainbow actually change the fucking foundation of the game or add on to it. It doesn't just add some sprinkling in cosmetics and tweak a few new things into there. I'm not complaining. I just I want to see more from Diablo. And once again, I'll get into that. But here's the thing. Rainbow needed to do that, and if anyone disagrees with me now, I'm going to slap the food out your mouth, because we all know that there were hit, hit registration issues, netcode errors, crashing, bugs galore. I mean, it was a pretty smooth running game. It wasn't a broken game, but it needed a lot of improvements to become what it is today. And Operation Health was by far not the only time they've done a massive overhaul of quality of life, but it's the only time they halted their entire content flow pr production line to just focus on fixing the game. And I couldn't applaud Ubisoft more. And here's the kicker. Because the people who pay to see a yearly pass for those guaranteed amount of operators within those seasons are the ones that were pissed because they paid for it on the front end, myself included. So I was upset about that. And they immediately rectified by saying, hey, every op... Every next season, you'll get an additional operator. Everyone will. And that's where I think Dokubi? No. One of them. Zofia and Ella, maybe? I don't remember. But they added on an extra operator like they promised they would. So by the end of the year, and a new map. So by the end of the year, we had the same amount of content as promised before. It was just sliced and diced a little differently. To squeeze in an entire season where they didn't focus on giving us new content because they were doing a massive quality of life overhaul. And the biggest thing about that is they're switching their entire gaming service of Rainbow Six Siege onto dedicated server clientele and expanding and strengthening their server farm for it. Because it was partially on servers. So that was massive. It had to be done. And it's what is and that infrastructure now that that change that happened in Operation Health three, four, five years ago is the reason why Rainbow Six is still standing today. It had to have been done. Otherwise, the game would have been would have come crumbling down under its own weight of expansion. They understood that they are going to build this game up to this caliber and that they needed to address this now and early, right? Like a band-aid. So the same could be said for Diablo. It's a little different because... 
those fixes, while there are a lot of them, it's not like, oh, we're going on dedicated service, all that. It wasn't that massive of an overhaul. And we're not going to be able to understand the full effects of that just yet, but I kind of get it. It was a lot of things that they had to calibrate and that they had to adjust. It just sucks because a lot of us who were really heavy into the game before any of the seasons were like, oh, cool, this is how it's going to be. And we kind of were blindsided by that. So emotionally, it was a little much. And the marketing and the the communications team could have done a better job at easing our, easing our minds on the, the why instead of just announcing it. Ubisoft did a good job after some of the outcry to address our concerns and say, you're still going to get your guaranteed two operators and a new map and all that shit or whatever it was. So Diablo didn't reassure anyone. It's only now in hindsight, months later, I can see why they did what they did. The malignant hearts are, were really fucking powerful. Like overpowered type of powerful. Like, not not even that fun for some. I enjoyed them. Some people didn't. They thought it was too, too overpowered and changed the flow of the game. Uh, I get that. I wish they could have added elements without reducing or taking away from others. But then again, it doesn't matter all that much. Because at the end of the day, it was okay. Regardless of how it all panned out. And at that time, or regardless of how it was at the time, it, it, it all kind of came together. So the first season, Season Malignant, wasn't that much. It was nice. Here's the problem. You're going to want to play the new season. It's the new stuff. New quest lines, some new things, a new mechanic at play. Uh, right. That's about it. The downside is, and I knew this going forward. My friends didn't, and that's my fault for not explaining this to them. I forgot they didn't play Diablo 3, right? I knew this because I played previous Diablos. That when you have a, a new season, you have to create a new character from scratch. And because it's on the seasonal server and not the Eternal Realm server, nothing carries over. And it was really harsh. It really was, because preseason before that, when we were when I had to, when I played around, you know, and tried some new characters, rogue and barb and druid and all that. I did that all in preseason. I still haven't done a sorcerer. I'm sorry. I promise I'll do a sorcerer. Maybe next season. <laughs> I just didn't want to this season. Um, here's the thing. When you have a new seasonal character, and this is still kind of the case, but it's gotten much, 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 much better. You have to start everything over. New character, new skills, paragon points, all the same. Even if you get the same character, even if you want to just play that same character every time, every season, that's fine, but you got to start it over. I think that's okay. Except for the fact we don't have that many characters. So, there's not that much incentive. There's no fucking reason that we can't get one new character every season. 
Why not? Or a new skill tree or a new paragon route or something new on the existing characters as well. That'd be kind of cool. You have one brand new skill tree. I mean, like an entirely new thing, right? An entirely new core, basic core, like that are all linked together. You know, like, I don't know. They're all thematically tuned. So there's like three to five in any given character, different routes you can choose for them. I don't know. I think that would be really cool. That way, existing characters have a new skill tree to to explore. And if they added new characters. Because then that would warrant trying something new for the season. But say... Because the preseason lasted a good while. So say... Then the preseason, you played through two main character builds. Well, then by the end of season two, you you if you try new characters every time, which you probably won't, because the amount of time it takes and with all these other games and life going on, you might not find yourself finishing or hitting max cap level. I haven't. I think the furthest I've gotten is like level seventy five on a character. And the XP and the gold and all that stuff was really a slow and slow grind. Hours and hours and hours and to the point where, and I mentioned this before, you hit you hit level 50 plus. Level 55 to level 68 is a chore. The amount of XP you have to get. The first, kind of the first 50 levels could be a chore. There's some po- pockets that are uh, laborious, but for the most part, it's okay, because you're getting new skill points every time in those first 50 levels. You're unlocking new skill points, so it's always exciting, especially if you're playing a character you've never played before. But even if you're playing a character you've played before, it's nice to unlock those skills that you once had again. Now, it's not to be, it's not to say you cannot, you know, there, there's no problem with trying a new character or doing the same character, because there's a lot of diversity, and I'll give them credit. You can come completely change it up and there's certain characters I think that lean into that more than others I think the druid is the most versatile folks with the druid let me let me be clear here with the druid you can do a lot you can be there's one two three four five main paths there's this earth rock kind of like defensive tank uh building path there's this storm wind path where you're pushing things and Pushing and thing. There's a storm lightning path where you're, you're Palpatine. There's this path where you become a werewolf, and there's this path where you become a werebear, right? And the werewolf has the venomous or high critical strike chance path. The the werebear has the high uh, tank, you know, immediate shock wave like area of effect damage, or of course the magnificent overpower damage. And then everything can feed into that, and everything can cross path with each other. So you can have four druids playing completely different styles to where they're almost unrecognizable. Especially depending on the gear. Now I know for a fact that every character has a good amount of build diversity, for sure. And it's a beautiful thing. The rogue, the necro, the all of them. They do. It's really exciting. I tried Necromancer for season... One? I think I did. I think for the Malignant one I did that. Yeah, I did. I did. 
Um, it was great. I'll be 100% honest with you. I loved the Necromancer build. It was so powerful. I got pretty high. I didn't get as high as I wanted to. I got back into it and I had a blast. And I was talking about that. I remember I was talking about that before the update came out. I mean, I think I'm going to try the Necromancer build. I was doing so well with my Druid build. I did Rogue, Barbarian, and Druid. I'm interested in Sorcerer, but I've heard how underpowered they were. I'm like, I'm going to wait until they buff them a little more. And since Sorcerers usually aren't my go-to, I, I wasn't in a hurry. I wanted to try the others first, right? No problem there. So I thought maybe either I go full-blown on the Rogue path or I do the Necromancer. I'm like, I kind of did the Rogue. I want to do something brand new. So when I played in the Seasons of Malignant as a Necromancer, it was like playing a new game. And I don't just mean because I start over. I mean because even though it was Diablo, even though I played the campaign way too many times because I played through it, then I helped two of my friends get through it on on my time, and then I helped, and then I played it through and had my girlfriend get through it. I played that fucking campaign to death. I never want to play the Diablo 4 campaign again. It's a great campaign. I have no problems with it. It's just I played it so much in the beginning. Um... And Nightmare Dungeons, as I said before, with the Nightmare Sigils, still, even to this day, they've they've improved even more so. Um, that's the bread and butter. That's when it gets really fun. When you've never played Diablo before and you play through the campaign the first time, that's a blast. Upgrading a character, great time. Doing a few of the extra things in between, yeah. Never start in World Tier 1, it's going to be a headache. Start in World Tier 2. I promise me, I pro- trust me, I promise you, that's what I meant to say, you'll enjoy it that way. World Tier 3 is where shit gets real fun. For one, you should be level 50 by the time you hit there, but you no longer have to be, which is nice. You start getting Paragon points past level 50, and in World Tier 3, you can start doing Helltide events and Nightmare Dungeons, and that's where things get really exciting. So, there's a lot of good endgame content built into the base mechanics, regardless of the season. The season adds a few endgame bosses, a few side quest journeys, but it's not a lot. It's bare bone pickings. Actually, for the first time ever, this new season, Seasons of Blood, the second season, is actually the most plentiful because it's actually polishing its seasonal formula, and it's it's fun. It's enjoyable. But it's mostly enjoyable because it's quality of life improvements that it has packaged within it. But before I digress, the Malignant Hearts, they're phenomenal. They were fun. There are these trinkets and stuff that you get from these Malignant Tunnels, killing these special enemies, going through this whole rigmarole process, whatever, go through that whole process, and then you get them, they make you dramatically more powerful. It was insane, and it made a lot more sense why they nerfed things the way they did, because if they hadn't, the game would have been broken, really badly broken, like to an unfun level, to where you're either way overpowered or way underpowered, and there's no in-between, there's no balance so that would have sucked, and I understand why they did what they did. I do. However. With all that being said, it still... It was still consumable, it was still temporary, and while there were some good things and perks and quality of life that came with it... It was kind of underwhelming. There wasn't a lot of content. There was enough to make you want to get back into it. And there was reasons to try the new thing. But I'll be honest, for the first season, it was fun. It was a good time. It's always fun to play with my friends. 
The most fun part is to try to push further. I've made it in a world tier 4. I've never hit end cap. I've never hit 100 on any of my characters. I just haven't had that time or energy to spend into it yet. And it used to be way more of a chore. Now, it's way more doable. But then it wasn't. And I don't go back and I don't play my own characters because I always want to push within the season. And that's my problem. I feel like, though, unless the season specifically interests me a lot, I'm not going to be too worried or inclined going now. I mean, now once I cover all my characters, I think I'll be going fine going back in the Eternal Realm because all the main 95% of all what you're going to be playing it would be in the Eternal Realm anyway, which is good. It means you're not actually missing out on that much. You just can't partake in the seasonal objectives, which I don't. So, very rarely. I do a little bit of it. I mean, I do it, but I don't really give a shit. They don't reward me enough for the time it takes to do them. They're too tedious. There are some mechanics that I appreciate, but I could live without them. They do not affect me and whatsoever. The core gameplay is all there. The base of the game that, that was there preseason is there. And it just has quality life improvements. Right? So, it was more so the FOMO. I didn't want to miss out on anything. I wanted to see what was up. And now I know exactly what's coming. Now I know where that content is. I'm like, okay, no way they spend 10 years on this game. We're six months into this game, and we still haven't had a massive amount of new content. No new characters, no new areas, no new nothing. And I'm like, what the fuck's going on? And I figured it out a little bit, so I'll talk about that in a, in a bit. But anyway, so Seasons of Malignant was super powerful, or the Malignant Hearts were in the Seasons of Malignant, but the season overall, other than that, wasn't too exciting. Fast forward, now we hit October 17th. And the newest season comes out, season 2. The Seasons of Blood, I think. All about vampires and vampiric powers, right? Coming out right before Halloween, all that. Okay, cool. So, all that seasonal malignant, gone. For the most part. There's some stuff that carries over, which is kind of cool. So, it does kind of build on to what happened. Especially the end game stuff, so it's not completely all for nothing. But the malignant hearts and the things like that, poof, gone. Don't have them anymore. More tweaks and balances, better balances this time, better quality of life improvements. Most notably, a fuck ton of good ones came through. Matter of fact, let me read you some of them because them, some of them were so goddamn good. Like, it was nothing but applause from all around for this newer season when it came out. I gotta scroll back and find it. So they added a few new enemy types, blood seek. Oh uh, no, they've added new armor. They've added the mechanic of blood packs, which is like vampiric powers. They added this end game boss, Lord Zer. Or Zer, season of blood, yeah. Um, some dope ass armor for the cosmetics. So defeat Lord Zer in the seasonal quest line. Vampiric powers. Five new endgame bosses to conquer, which is kind of cool. That's a good amount. 22 new vampiric powers. Blood Harvest Seasonal Event, which is kind of fun way to grind out stuff. New monster types and variants, which is cool. Some big quality of life improvements. Improved mount navigation. So when you jump on your horse, they improve the maneuverability and the speed of your horse is like way, way fucking faster. Renowned rewards now carry over. That was a big deal. It really sucked to have to... They, they had the altars of Lilith, so your overall powers and paragons, but, but you still had to do these goddamn regional, seasonal 
progress things, the renowned stuff. Oh, you want those extra Paragon points? Uh, you gotta grind it out again and again. Now, once you have it unlocked on one account, if you've done it once and you do it, it's good. It syncs up and it's you're good. Once you just hit that level, you're fine. You don't have to worry about it doing it again and again and again, which is a godsend. Unfortunately, I never actually got around to finishing all of them. I am one, two, three shy. So I've only done one where I completely unlocked it, I think. Actually, I'm not even 100% sure. But I'm pretty close on all of them, so there's that. Inventory improvements, they did a lot of that. Nightmare sigils help teleport you right to the dungeon, and then way more XP. 40% more XP per drop. That's so, so much better. So now within the course of a couple weeks of playing, I'm level 57 and not in the course of a couple months. I mean, truly, that's the difference. 40% faster, almost half as fast as it used to be. Or, you know, half faster, I should say. So they... 40% more XP is massive. It means you can level up. And that's good because we're getting to that point where there's no new characters. So, yeah, it's characters a lot of people played before. They do not want to be slowly leveling up when they know they shouldn't have to be. Not this slow. Especially since they're resetting characters anyway in a few months. Why are you handicapping them and making them that much slower to get to that? It made it damn near impossible. You had to have no life and you had to play no other games to get to level 100. Now... Now more than ever, it's actually viable. I'm blazing through. I'm level 57. I hit level 50 two days ago. I got seven levels to level 50. Whereas last season, season one, when I tried to do that, it took me a month. And I was playing it way more consistently than I am now. I played it for a total of probably 15 hours this week. Not even. No, actually 10 hours this week and I've leveled up from level 25 to level 57. Probably 10 to 12 hours of game time. That's incredible. I've been doing a lot of stuff that was pushing me to higher tiers. My friends are kind of power leveling me, so that's part of it. I'm not saying if you were playing at like the world tier you should be at, doing the basic stuff you should be doing, you'd be leveling up that fast. My friend, I was level 25 and I jumped in and we beat it and he pushed me into world tier 3 and kind of strung me along the way and it power leveled my character mind you i've already played this game for hundreds of hours i already have a druid i'm doing druid build again i already had a druid that's way powerful so it's not like i don't know what i'm doing i just not that powerful statistically so it was fun and i was going to do the whole toxic shredder build because i really do like the idea of that and then i stumbled into this tempest storm build holy fuck I don't know why I never paid attention to this. I don't think it was as powerful. I think they had it nerfed. They buffed this if they, if it was nerfed from my recollection, which I think it was. This Palpatine shit is nuts. If you play Diablo and you have a druid, try it. I guarantee you. And I now got this unique sacred weapon that allows my claws, as in a werewolf damage, first of all, gives me plus four on those motherfuckers. And then also... It allows it to do storm damage at 125% its attack value. Meaning, right now, I do about 2,000 damage with my basic hit. And it builds my essence, right, my energy. And it chains lightning and shocks them. So I can, honest to God, melt through most hordes just using my basic, not even using my core. Which is also plus two behind, above the max limit. So I'm seven in lightning. Eleven. I am eleven out of five on my basic claws right now. Forty-four percent of damage done. And I've increased attack speed and critical strike chance. 
and a couple other factors, and then I have some other things that are contributing to my lightning build. I am a force to be reckoned with. I don't think I've been this powerful as a druid since I figured out how to do the overpower werebear. God, is that a fun build. There's almost nothing that's more exciting than that one once you get it where you want it to be. So that's the fun part about Diablo, right? It's it's that grind, it's getting the new gear, it's getting stuff you've never seen before, it's playing around with elements or things when you're a new character you've never had the chance to play with, and it's becoming so fucking powerful and finding a way to fine-tune and maximize your build to the nth degree, especially once paragons and abilities and other things uh, like legendary aspects are introduced. So it's a really cool grind. But seasons do kind of take some of that love out of it because it... it stonewalls you right oh every three months you get a reset if you want to play seasons now to be fair you don't have to you could play on the eternal realm play with your old character and really grind it out and i might going forward but i want to try the new seasons it's new content why wouldn't i want to at least see it and it gives me an opportunity to try a character i wouldn't otherwise or to try a new route for the character and to be a hundred percent honest with you folks i like starting a new character over in this game first of all now especially now that there's a so what I was saying with this new season is the characters are really fun to restart and replay. Um, partially because that's how I enjoy playing games sometimes, especially games like Diablo 4. But then also, uh, they've done a lot of balances and fixes, and they've cleared up a lot of headaches that make it difficult to start a new character, that make it kind of a chore. Right? You've got your Altars of Lilith, you've got your Renown carryover progression. You've got a lot of stuff now that carries over. Paragon points, general. So... When you start a new character, even if it's a new seasonal character, some things get started right off the bat that are much more convenient. As long as, of course, you have to beat the campaign, I think, to be a seasonal character. As long as you do some of the laborious work, but it, it won't make you keep doing it if you've done it once now. Finally, it's taken too long to get to that point, but that's what I meant to say. I apologize, I did get cut off. I will get cut off. As, I, as always, I do record on my phone. Right, and I've said this before, I think I said this at the top of the episode, I record on my phone, I usually try to record in one day, but life's hectic and I usually don't even get time to do that nowadays. So it's chopped up between days, which is why you'll hear a change in quality between segments, between pauses. Um, so yeah, I'm recording on my phone, it is just the most feasible for me as of right now, in terms of my time. I genuinely don't have time to like record on a higher quality mic and carefully edit. I should don't get me wrong, I definitely should. It's it's almost neglect that I don't do it at this point, but I do hope you guys appreciate it this way. This also allows me to more free flow thought because uh, I when I talk this much, I pace, I walk around the room. I couldn't really do that with them. I mean, I got a mic I guess I could try to do that with, but that would get very tiring very quickly because it's a little heavier than a fucking phone. So, um... I do with what I can, so I do apologize for the audio quality. I know it's not the best, but I try my best to make it as feasible as possible for my workload and my work balance life, but also for you guys. So thank you all for listening. Um, I do appreciate it. It does uh, mean the world to me. I just got my Spotify wrapped uh, podcast thing, and the growth is tremendous. So thank you guys once again. So. I got cut off. I, I often do, right? Because I record on my phone. Now I have these focuses and settings that will block a lot of phone calls and, and reduce notifications and distractions and things. But I still, even with that, I have a handful of phone numbers that are favorites that are able to pierce through any of my blocks because I want to be accessible to those, you know, friends, family, my girlfriend, things like that. So, yeah. And unfortunately, when a fucking timer goes off, when a phone call comes through... Um, 
the podcast gets cut off and the segment gets cut off. It still saves everything I recorded. It just cuts off that segment. And so it's a little choppy. And honestly, it's sometimes really hard to continue the same flow of thought because it fucks me up for a second. Or I have to take the phone call and I talk for 30 minutes or 20 minutes or 5 minutes and it, I forget what I was saying, right? So bear with me. Technical mishaps happen. But I appreciate your patience. I appreciate the love and support. So, also, that last segment that was interrupted, and now if you're abruptly listening to this, hopefully it woke you up from your slumber. Um, that was recorded a few days ago. So I'm back in my apartment. I'm now recording. I should have a little time to get a few more thoughts out with Diablo 4. So, to continue my thoughts, I want to talk about the seasons of blood. I don't know if I talked much about that. I also, just so you know, when I start a new segment, I don't go back and listen to the entire podcast. I don't have the time. I might only have an hour in my day to be able to do this, so <laughs> get right the fuck to it. Anyway, so the Seasons of Blood is pretty cool. This is the latest season that's come out, right? We, I think I've talked enough about the season of the Malignant. I, I do recall talking to death about that fucking one. Seasons of Blood is really nice because... It's done a couple things. One, it came through when I wasn't even really playing Diablo 4 as much. I was playing other games, right? It came through a week after the acquisition uh, of Microsoft Activision Blizzard, which, as I've said before, and I, when I talked about COD Modern Warfare 3, this affects COD. This affects, of course, Blizzard and all Blizzard games. It affects anything under Activision Blizzard, obviously. But Diablo 4 especially. I can't help but think that the entire production of Diablo 4 was somewhat altered because of this deal. Now, not directly. It's not like Microsoft came in and said, oh, you're going to have to make this game different. No, 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 no. That wouldn't be allowed. No. What I'm saying is the impending pressure. When a company, know, company knows they're about to be acquired, and the CEOs and the heads and the people are going to be fired or removed or changed up, and the, the splits and the profits and the proceeds are going to be flowing differently, because you're going to be acquired by a larger mega corporation, uh, you push out content a lot faster, regardless of the quality, to cash in your earnings. And especially when you have name brand franchises that are so foundationally solid that if you just release it, people will buy it. Right? As we've seen with COD Modern Warfare 3, we know for a fact that was a rushed product. And as I said before, and now it's been confirmed from sources I can't disclose. But I do have credible sources. I just, I literally can't disclose them because that would be a breach of their identity and their safety. That was the case. There was pressure when it came to COD. And I'll talk about that in a separate episode so it gets more, uh, more attention on the matter. But there was pressure on Call of Duty, the dev cycle for Sledgehammer Games to make Modern Warfare 3 and ship it this year when, in fact, they weren't supposed to. So... It is what it is. So, with Blizzard being under Activision, I can't help but think that that also impacted some of the thought processes behind it. Now, of course, the live service model, as we talked about earlier. And now, as we know that they've announced that next year, I think, I swear to God, it's next year, is the paid DLC expansion, which will be an even different experience for Diablo 4. One that I'm truly, genuinely hopeful and excited for. But we'll have to see. So, here's the thing. Um, let me get through season of two, season, seasons of two, season two, uh, the, the blood, see, seasons of blood, whatever the fuck it's called. Stupid name, if I'm going to be honest, but I get it. It's all about the vampire theme. Came out October 17th, right smack dab a week before Halloween. 
and um, they did a lot of fixes. Lots of quality of life. I've mentioned this before briefly. I'll just go over it again. Yeah, they added some new endgame bosses. Dope. Haven't gotten to all of them yet, but I've gotten to some of them. That's nice. So they added five endgame bosses. Um, they've carried one over from last season. And a few mechanics from last season, but mostly all those malignant heart things are gone. So they always introduce a new mechanic that statistically changes your powers on your hero, on your character, for that season. And then, of course, you keep all the general stuff, your player, your skills, your paragon, all that stuff. You do have to start a new character every season, but it's all the same for those things. And then, you've got a quest line, a seasonal quest line, a, a battle pa- a seasonal pass for cosmetic purposes only, of course. And some XP boosts and some small stuff like that. And then, um, yeah, some endgame bosses and some extra rewards. I'll be honest, it's uh, pussy. It's very lightweight, just... And I know that's derogatory to say, but I don't care. Um, I'm joking. I don't mean anything by it. Please don't cancel me. But what I'm saying is it's lightweight. It's not very meaningful or impactful. They are just doing the bare minimum to maintain a seasonal progression line. Now, there are some things that they have under the hood that are phenomenal, that regardless of what is sprinkled on top, doesn't fucking matter, didn't even have to be Seasons of Blood. If they had these quality of life improvements come through, I'm happy. So I'm giving Season 2, the Season of Blood, higher marks than I should, not because of the new content. As I've said before, I'm a big sucker for new content. As I think most are, as long as it's of quality. No, I'm giving it high marks because it had some massive quality of life improvements that have genuinely made this game exponentially more fun and more playable for all of us. And I mentioned it before, but I'll go over it again briefly. 40% flat across the board increase in XP acquisition. That's fucking massive. (laughs) That means that before this update, Things were a grind. And I don't just mean like, oh, it's going to take some time. I mean, it was fucking ridiculous. It got to a point where it made it unfun to play because if you wanted to participate in the new season, which I often do, even if I don't love all the new content, I at least want to explore it and see what's up. And I do like, like I said, I do like making a new character. It's refreshing for me. As I've said before, when I did that Necromancer build, that felt like playing a new game because it was a completely new character I've never touched before in a new season with some new stuff to do. But no, these new seasons, it's not as dynamic as like a new chapter in the campaign. And if you haven't played the camp, obviously if you haven't played the game, play through the campaign first. It is phenomenal. I played it too much, but it's a great campaign. It's very fun. And it introduced you to the world of the, and the functionality of Diablo 4. There's a lot to do in this game. And I mentioned that in my opening episode about this, my first in the series, part one. They dropped with a metric fuck ton of content for us to consume. It's my fault that I consumed so much of it so quick. That's on me. I should have paced myself because if I did, this game would still be really fresh and really new and really exciting. And here's the thing. There's still some aspects of it that are. Because for one, I've never max leveled a character because these fucking seasons and the XP grind. It's not completely my fault. But um, So that's actually an exciting prospect. I've gotten a world tier 4, but folks, 
I haven't been able to sustain myself in that for very long because by the time I finally get a motherfucking character in there, a new season drops. Because also, I'm not just playing Diablo 4. I'm playing three to five new games a month. Some of them I'm playing for the first time ever. Some I'm coming back and revisiting. Some I'm playing because my friends play it. And then I play Diablo 4 on top or in between all of those games. So, yeah. And I think a lot of people work like that. Regardless of how many games they play, we're busy. We don't just have time to spend for one game. And I think the devs finally understood. Huh, well, statistically, not many people are even finishing out their characters in these seasons. And of course, no one has the incentive, I don't think, to go back and play those old characters. Because they're not deleted. They go back to the eternal server, right? The base game. Which is where 95% of everything you do anyway is at. So there's almost no reason to do the seasons unless you want to explore the new mechanic, the new season questline, or see the new endgame bosses. And that's just enough new content for you to want to jump back in, start a new character, maybe one you've never played before, or play with a character you've played with, but go down a separate skill path tree that you might have never explored that makes the character almost a completely different build than you've ever experienced before. That's also extremely exciting. And that is, I think, the greatest saving grace of Diablo 4. They have these characters figured out so perfectly, in my opinion. There are balances, there are things that could be adjusted, sure. It's not absolutely perfect, but they have, right, the Barbarian, the Rogue, the Druid, the Necromancer, and the Sorcerer. I don't think I'm missing any of them. That's not a lot of characters, but it's a good amount. This game has only been out for six months, folks. That's not too bad at all. Two seasons and a preseason. So, um, and we're only a month and so into the first season, so a month and a week into the, or I'm sorry, into the second season. So we still got two months left in the second season. And that's fine that seasons are three months long or so, but the problem is that we don't actually, I was hoping that like, and maybe not within the first year, but I was genuinely hoping that like every other season or something, we get a new character. And I know that people would be like, well, wouldn't everyone just play that new character? Maybe. Who gives a fuck? It's not PvP. For the most part, other than those PvP zones, which not many people, I don't think many people bother with those anyway. That's not the real point of the game. So, who cares? Also, um, they could add new skill tree paths to the existing characters. That's less work. I, uh, well, I don't actually know if that's less work. That might be more work to balance and counterbalance things. That would be dope. That would be dope if... Okay, so say Season 3, right? That comes out in January. Say for Season 3, well, I hope at the top of the year they might actually introduce one new character, but I feel like they're saving all that for the DLC, which I'll talk about later. Um, but, uh, but yeah, they that'd be cool if they just added that and then added a new character in the new region. It's an open world map, I understand, but there's no reason why we can't have new regions or new dungeons. Oh, God, just new dungeon layouts and new enemy types. Let's just add some more variety to the main gameplay loop. But I, I would love to see a new skill tree path, right? So for those of you who may not understand, but I assume most of you played Diablo 4 who are listening, but if you haven't, there's skill tree. There's a skill tree and there's a paragon tree, 
We're not going to worry about the paragon tree right now in this equation. So when you have a new when you have a character, you have skill points every time you level up. There's 50 skill points plus a little extra you can get from certain things and accommodations, renown, all that. But baseline, level, maxing out your character level 50, which isn't the max level, but for skill point acquisition it is, you get 50 skill points, right? Within those 50 skill points, you can spend those on basic attack, core, what is it, defensive, utility, or special, or whatever. Uh, or is it utility, then special, then ultimate? It's like five or six main branches that you go down. It's not very complex. You can you can mix and match. You can have all five of the basic attacks if you want. You shouldn't, but you could. Um, so you can mix and match once you have all your skill points. But um, rule of thumb is you, you try to... Your core is your main attack one. Your basic is a, is a solid attack one. But your basic attack doesn't use any of your essence or energy or your special consumable it's like your stamina or your your magic meter if you will so your core uses that does more damage and then your basic doesn't use that does less damage but it does replenish that bar as well so there's a counterbalance so you're not just spamming your overpower stuff then you have ultimates which are on a timer defensive things which are usually on a timer things like that and it's a mix, and they're all different, and I'm telling you, I haven't played the Sorcerer yet, I know I'm awful, and I actually will, most likely in the next season, if unless there's massive changes to the game, because I, I really do want to try it, and I just, I just want to get back into the Druid this season, because I haven't been playing it much, and I just want to get back to basics, that's my favorite character, because of its diversity, so, yeah, but with that, there are things that, they're all, you know, they're color-coordinated, and there's anywhere between four to five different like branches that kind of feed into each other perfectly that harmonize now you you can mix and match as as you please but like for example with the with the druid the druid's fucking diverse as hell they've got uh let's see i don't even they've got uh, an electricity kind of like palpatine build they've got a wind tornado slicing build that's on the like natural magic side they have an earth like a rock and tectonic plates and earthquakes things and then they have a werewolf thing where you transform yourself into a werewolf and do poisonous or critical hits or a werebear a giant bear that is of overpower damage and high high area of effect damage those are like the f what is that one five those are the five main paths that you can go down now you can go in a way where it's like Filling out each node, each cluster, and be like, I'm just going to be a werebear. And everything is going to be the yellow color coordinated werebear skills. You could do that. Most people don't. You mix and match. You can also proc things into one another. So you can, depending on your gear. And then when you get gear, right, your armor, your weapons, and they have legendary aspects, they might give you some extra points in a skill without you having to use your own skill points. They might double over in one or the other and that's what's happening with mine right now with druid i got this unique sacred staff and i forget what it's called staff of the crone or something and it's giving me and i mentioned this before it's giving me the claws my i actually got a higher one i got the highest quality one in fact and it's giving my claws which is my basic werewolf attack uh fuck ton it's giving them like 11 or or, or it's giving them plus nine and then I added my plus five to that, so now 
but it's also counting as a storm strike, which is another basic attack. So I also max that out. I'm not doing any core for this build, so I don't have any essence, spirit essence being used. I'm just doing my basic light attack. It's pretty quick, and it has the doubling effect of the claws with the critical strike and the faster hits, and the storm strike, and it's so fucking powerful because it's also electrocuting them and chaining lightning and doing critical damage and hitting them quickly and not costing any essence, so I can essentially do it as much as I want. The only downside is I have to be close range. That's it, but I'm faster, so it kind of compensates, and I'm still kidding myself out to be able to do it better and i'm still getting used to the flow of the combat of it but it's pretty dope that's nuts because i've played the druid before and i've tried the toxic shredder with the claws and the poisoning and then and i st still want to make that right but i haven't gotten good gear for that and um my favorite one of my favorite and most consistent builds that i used for a long time is overpower overpower is insanely insanely powerful it's like this stat that gives you so much power potential and with the werebear you have like two or three guaranteed overpower hits necromancer also has a great overpower build and so i specced into that and i was just just this giant werebear doing this pulverizing move so i've been a druid holding a staff throwing tornadoes at enemies i've been a druid like emperor palpatine bringing lightning down on enemies i've been a druid that was a werewolf that caused poisonous damage i've been a druid that was a bear that has caused pulverized overpowering damage and i've been a druid that is a werewolf that is causing electric damage from striking with its claws that's one character that's not even counting the barbarian the rogue the sorcerer the necromancer right so that's what i mean the build diversity is insane and it's by the time you get for far enough into the game to get this point it's no problem to respect yourself I do wish we had loadouts. That'd be fucking nice. It's, it's honestly, it's mind-boggling that we don't have loadouts yet. And what I mean by that is, you know, in a lot of games, when you make a custom class or you spec things out, and it takes some time to figure out the fine-tunings of things, most games figure out a loadout system where it saves those skill point trees and that gear, and so you can have two or three or four or five or however many loadout slots already pre-designed with that gear so you could quickly swap between them. Diablo needs it desperately for how that game functions and it has none. So it's not a big deal. It just takes time and you have to remember what you did last time. And especially with the gear. It's not as bad with skill points because they're all in the same place so it's not hard to memorize that pattern or remember what you had before or take a picture of it. But with the gear, that's more difficult. So it'd be really nice if we had at least two or three loadout slots. We can name them, we can organize them, just like the stash in the in the chest, and that would be really cool, because then we could have, I could have my Overpower Pulverize build, my Stormclaw build, my Toxic Shredder build for my Druid, three different builds, and I could swap between them. And when I get new gear that's better to suit that one build, I could swap to that loadout, equip that piece, delete the old piece, and then swap back and forth, and I don't have to respec my entire skill tree, find my old gear, reapply it. That takes a while, and it's not fun, and it, and it makes it so... It de-incentivizes switching it up a lot, especially with the gear, because that's so tedious and laborious, because all the gear looks the same after a while. And thank God they added favoriting gear. They added that recently. So you know what I'm saying? Like, it's things like that. 
but I can't knock them with the Season 2, Seasons of Blood. They did add some quality life improvements. Like I said, 40% XP increase, which is massive. That means that you can actually level, power level through, or not even power level. You can just max level in time before the season ends. I'm almost, I'm level 60 right now, and I, I got that way in less than a week. I was level 25. Right? Whereas... Spending the same amount of hours, I would have had to spend 40% more of my hours. Almost double my time. Almost. So it would have been, instead of in seven days, it would have been within, what, 12, 13 days of the same amount of hours? Two to four hours? And that was on a break. That was during Thanksgiving break. That, I don't even have that kind of time at all the, all the time. So, yeah, it's just not feasible. You know what I mean? So I'm really glad they did that. Because it makes it getting through level 50 way less of a chore. Because, honest to God, before this, when you hit level 50, you don't want to play the game very long. Especially if you've already played it. Not that it's not fun. It's just get to, getting to level, from level 50 to level 70 to be able to do World Tier th uh, 4. Or 3 or whatever. 4, yeah. It's so long. It takes almost as long as it did to get from level 0 to level 50. Which is ludicrous because it's... Half the levels, right? It's only 20 levels instead of 50, and yet it takes almost as long. Well, now with this 40% XP across the board, and then you could have, like, extra XP and the urn and the seasonal things, and, and you can have some elixirs going, it does make it better. They've also increased the horde density by a lot, so that's nice. So you actually have more enemies to hit, so that also contributes to the XP and makes it more fun and engaging. And... They didn't mention this, but they tweaked the gold. There's so much more gold that drops now that it's 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 kind of too much, honestly. I'm not complaining, but I'm just saying it is too much because now it's imbalanced. Uh, you have so much gold by the time you're level 50 that there's no risk to spending your gold. You don't have to be mindful of it. But they also introduced this mechanic where it will filter out pickups over time so you don't even see or have to pick up uh, rarity types of items that are so much lower than what you're expecting. That won't do anything. That'll just add junk. It doesn't even let you pick it up now. I think it's a toggle you can turn on and off in your setting. If you want to be the hoarder, you still could to salvage those materials, but the materials aren't even worth it. And now because, and you know, beforehand we used it, we picked up shit we didn't want for the gold to sell it back but now we get so much gold there's no need for it so it's actually decluttered a lot they also added not a gem bag easily funny enough you would think oh they just added no they made the gem like dust so you no longer pick up full ass gems unless you're doing something really special like a special boss or something and then you're picking up high quality gems that you're going to use but other than that all the lower tier gems are you pick up dust passively. I don't even know how you get it. I didn't even know I had it. All my friends and I in this newest season, we forgot about gems because we are not picking them up. They're not filling up our inventory where we have to manage them and consolidate them. But then we go to the gem craft jeweler thing and they've got... We could make the flawless gems right there from this gem dust or essence or whatever the fuck it's called. And that's convenient because now we don't have to worry about the slots being filled up for that. They've also made more tabs that divide stuff from the seasonal to the... And they might have did that last season, but... Anyway, so there's some massive quality of life improvements. 
They also rebalanced and reconfigured some stuff from the nerf. So this season has been really healthy for Diablo, in my opinion. There are still some issues. People still have problems. I get it. It's not a perfect game. But considering the ebb and flow, first of all, it's only been six months, and the amount of growth that this game has and the amount of diversity and build potential, um, they've increased the Nightmare Dungeon uh, drops, the rewards you get from that, as well as other special enemies and in-game bosses, which is nice. They've, they've reapplied Helltide events so you get more cinders. They had a thing where it was like bugged out and wasn't giving us as many cinders in the beginning of season or midway through season one or something like that. And it was just unfun. It just made it unviable because you, because you didn't get enough cinders when you're doing Helltide and Helltide was super difficult. And even when you did get enough cinders to open up those chests, you didn't get shit. So they've really improved a lot because now we're getting good stuff. I mean, I'm not kidding when I say in this new season two, when I was starting my druid build, my first day on, it dropped a legendary for me. Now, there's a problem with that, right? Because here's the thing. We've got one, two, three, four, like seven tiers of rarity for items. So the problem with that is if they have dramatically changed the rate of legendary drops, which I think they have, doesn't that make it not legendary anymore? The whole point of the rarity system isn't just the power and the statistical advantages and the fact it gives you legendary aspect of the item. Great. Obviously, those are good. But it's the fact that it's hard to get this stuff. I'm looking at all my characters on the screen, and I'm realizing I've never hit level 70 with a character. I swear to God, I have. My friends always power, tier, power level me to world tier 4. I'm level 60 with this druid. My rogue, I, I started with the game. I'm only 25, never got very far. My barbarian started with the game. I switched it. That was all pre-season 55. My first main druid. <laughs> that was right before a new season, 64. That was my overpowered druid. God bless him. I love him. And then my necromancer for the first season, season malignant. God, I love this guy. He's so cool. I got that to world tier 4. But that was, uh, he's level 63. I'm level 60 in just a week worth of time, whereas all these took months, so I'm looking at my screen right now. So that's, that's dope as hell, honestly, that's, that's incredible. So, yeah, okay, good to know. So my point is in all this is that They've done a lot of quality of life improvements. Um, yeah, but if they make the rarity of the legendary drops so consistent, so common, it does devalue legendary in general. So I'm not against it because I actually got a legendary and I'm not, I couldn't even use it. And I, it's not like I was getting legendaries all the time, but it's almost like it skipped over rare, rare and magic stuff. And honestly, I don't even recall using that many rare magics. I, I guess rares. But the magic, the blue, the gray and blue, they can get rid of that. It's so statistically weak and within the first five to six levels and now you level up from doing like one dungeon, you'll level up like five or six times. Like within the first day I was level 18. And I'm, and I'm not saying I spent all day. I spent two hours in the game. So 
the the time that you would need to have the gray and and yellow rare or I'm sorry blue rarities are virtually non-existent. We might as well scrap all that because it's just filler. It does nothing. It's an for an hour's worth of the gameplay. It's not worth it anymore. In the beginning, when the fir- game first came out, you you would have to use those for a good while. You'd actually have to scale up. The real meaningful uh, weapon gear changes is from not the color of the rarity per se. It's when you switch world tiers. And I mentioned this before, but when you're in world tier 2, and you've got a, let's say, let's say a legendary. You get to the orange, a legendary, which is the max you can get in world tier 2. It's dope. Right, so you get a, you get a legendary. Alright, cool. It's powerful. It's probably the most powerful thing you have at that time. Item level perks, and then it gives you a legendary aspect as well. Some little icing on the top. You know, sometimes those legendary aspects are so useful that that's all you need that thing for. The the other gear stats aren't even that useful, but that legendary aspect is making your build viable. It just depends. Then you jump into World Tier Three. That's when shit really gets real. You haven't really experienced Diablo Four until you've played through World Tier Three enough. Because that's where you get Nightmare Dungeons, which I've said before is the bread and butter gameplay loop. And that's where you get Helltide events. That's where you get to start getting endgame bosses. That's where you get Sacred Legendary. And that's when you can start getting unique uh, sacred, uh, unique drops. That's where it all comes together. Of course, and that's when endgame begins. And then, of course, Real Tier 4 is just fucking ridiculously harder than all that. But you get so much better stuff. It's exponentially better. Um, but if you go from World Tier 2 and you have a legendary there and then you get a sacred legendary, or even a sacred rare, which is a lower rarity form and may not have a legendary aspect, it will item power-wise, attack power if it's, a, if it's a weapon, and all of its stats will be statistically much, much, much higher. So that sacred marking makes it way better than the actual color rarity. And then, when you get into World Tier 4 and you have Ancestral, that's the highest quality. So if you get an Ancestral unique item, I think that's what it would be called. The unique is the highest rarity. It's above Legendary. They are truly unique. There's only a handful of them in the game. They're very difficult to get. You'll get them if you're in World Tier 4 and you play that long enough. I mean, by the time you're level 100, you'll have... You might have a full set of unique gear, but you have to max level. That's it. You're done. You've maxed out a character. So now that they've increased that, I think they've just increased the odds of that happening. It's cool. I actually appreciate that a lot. Because I wanted to get to that point. And for people like me, most people, we don't have the time. And since we have to restart with a seasonal character every three months, we're back to zero, back to square one. So now that they've made the changes with Renown as well across the map, so in the map, since it's open world, finding stuff, these Altars of Lilith that give you literal statistical powers across your entire count, regardless of what character you start, whether it's seasonal or eternal, you get started with more power, with the willpower, dexterity, with statistical powers that help with your Paragon and help with your overall power and some other perks and benefits, right? But then beyond that, there's like 165 of those fuckers. It is a chore to find them all. But if you do that, you're good. Um, also, 
it used to not carry over until this season your renown progress, which is your map progress, which is a lot of work. Very monotonous. Once you do it once or twice, you're like, okay. If you have to do it three or four times, five times, you're like, all right, this is fucking ridiculous. Um, it's now between seasonal, between eternal, it's synced. So that's good because it would take forever. And it's what gets you bonus skill points, bonus gold, like that matters much anymore, but bonus skill points and bonus paragon points. And it's a lot of work. I'm not saying this is like, this takes a lot of time. I haven't even maxed it all out, but you've got three, four, five regions. And within each of those regions, you have five things and or five claimable objectives that reward you with bonus XP, bonus gold, and a skill point. So in each region, you can get one potion capacity. That's one thing. So it raises your amount of health potions permanently. And then also gives you two skill points within each region. So that's ten total extra skill points, I think. Two, four, six, eight, ten. Yeah, ten extra skill points than you would normally have. And paragon points. Gives you four per thing. So that's twenty total paragon points. That's a lot. That's 3, 6, 9, 12, 15, 18. That's like six entire level ups. And now that they've made it synchronized across accounts, so as long as you hit that level or you're in that world tier, you cross that threshold, you don't have to go and do all the same things again over and over to get that renown value if you don't want to. I really appreciate that because that's a chore. If you've done it a couple times, you should be rewarded every time now. Because it takes hours to do. It's not an easy thing. Especially the Altars of Lilith on top of that. Altars of Lilith are permanent. They are stat permanent boosts. And I do recommend you do that. Because not only does it contribute to your renown across all regions. And it's 10 per one. And there's usually 20 to 30. So that's 200 to 300 renown for each region. Which will get you through your first two claimable rewards. Without even having to do much. But it also gives you permanent stat increases. Across your entire account. Regardless of what character you play. So you'll be very very insured in that way. And exponentially more powerful from the jump. When you start a new character. So the fact that they've made it easier. For when you do start a new character. Is great. I do wish however. They made it a little easier as well. I wish that if when you started. in uh, Maybe not gear. But. I don't know. Now that you level up so fast. And all that, it's honestly not that bad. That 40% level increase um, is pretty powerful. The renowned carryover, it's, it's honestly, if I had to start a new seasonal character, I'm, I'm not stressing it. Uh, I, of course, like diversity. I like new experiences, and I've played too much of Diablo 4 to have that, other than some of the endgame bosses, which I'm still excited for, because I really haven't punched in the World Tier 4 and haven't had the time. For the first time ever this season, I will. And I will report back to you all once I get more experience on that. I want to get my druid here to level 100, and I want to kill all the endgame bosses and get some of the coolest rewards. Because things are going to change up next year, for the better, hopefully. And I still have an entire character I haven't touched. And honestly, the rogue... I haven't really explored. I got to level 25. That's nothing. I haven't even gotten to the paragons of a rogue. So I'm also very intrigued to start a rogue build. In fact, I might do that this season. I want to focus on druid, but I, I might just fuck around and do a new rogue build as well. Or I might go back into the eternal realm and just 
work on my old rogue build. I might do that. That might be fun. Fun kind of casual way. Yeah, it's not the seasonal progression stuff, but I don't really care about doing that again. So, I don't know. But I appreciate the fluidity and the flexibility, and I appreciate the cross-pathing, cross-saving that they're starting to implement and make it more, less of a chore. Because before, it was like, oh my fucking god, we have another season. It wasn't like a, okay, alright, let's see what we're going to do. And unlike all my peers and my friends who I play with, they haven't played that many other new characters. Now, there are some balances. There are some reasons why. I understand. You find the character you love. Druid's my favorite, so I have no problem ever playing Druid over and over. And that's fine. It's kind of like a reset, like a prestiging, almost. Except you don't get anything permanent for it. But um, So I get it, but I... I also think the most fun part about this game is trying something new because these characters are drastically different. And it's not just like, oh, you play it once. You can play... Like, I can go back and I can play the Necromancer. I got really far in the Necromancer with the Blood Lance Overpower build, but there's three, four other builds I didn't even really explore. I played around with them. I dabbled with them. Right? And then you attach the unique gear that completely, radically changes the build. Like, I would have never, ever tried making this claw basic storm strike thing for this werewolf druid build that was not my original goal my original goal i was originally coming in to do toxic shredder and then i just wasn't having as much fun with it so i played around with the lightning and i was having a blast being palpatine and the game kind of configures the gear drop to you because right there's five different main paths and ways that gear can fall into those paths so how would it know to give me the storm claws because it was giving me electricity and werewolf, and I wanted to explore both, but I couldn't really. And it gave me that unique drop twice. I got one good version and a better tier, the highest possible tier of it. So I'm very happy with that. I'm good. I don't need a new weapon. I'm set. I have one of the better weapons in the game for a druid at max potential drop. I mean, obviously, I think if I was a higher level and I got that drop, it'd be a little statistically better, but it's still stupid powerful. Nothing's going to change that. So now I can design a build around that and i have and I, it's only some extra pieces of gear now that i'm hoping to get that can strengthen that build we'll see if i stick with it but, but i don't have to i mean i can just put it in my inventory and play around with new builds still so i do love the build and the diversity i do appreciate that a lot so that's what i'm saying if they add entire new skill trees to existing characters as well that'd be a lot of work i assume but that would add is such a giant refreshing for those who don't want to try a new character. But I'll tell you, folks, when I played Druid, I had a blast, right? I played through the Overpowered were Werebear. And then that next season, season two, one, the first true season, preseason, I was doing Druid. And then and I stuck with it. And I made that my main thing after experimenting. And then with that first season, I did Necromancer. I said, let me, let me branch out. Let me try something new. I played a little Barbarian. That's how I started the game. I played Rogue for the first week of the game being out, and I enjoyed it, and I said, oh, I'm going to try Barbarian. Then I tried Barbarian, and I stuck with it, and then a month later I said, let me try Druid, and then I stuck with Druid through the rest of the preseason for two months. I got that to level 60. World Tier 4, I think, I started to inch into, and then the first season came out, so I decided to go Necromancer, and I went Bloodlands with that, and I tried a few other things along the way, but mostly I just stuck with the Overpower, and that, that fucking Necromancer is powerful as fuck. And I loved it, and I was having a blast with it. So I have no problem with that. I still love my Necromancer. 
and it was a completely different game. I'm not kidding. I mean, it, I mean, it was still Diablo, and I still had a lot of progress in it, but it felt like a completely different game. Sure, I was killing hordes. Sure, I was going to familiar places. And with the season and with the seasonal quests and some new bosses, a few new enemy variants, that helped freshen up the scent too. But for the most part, it was playing as a necromancer was a completely different experience. You have different skills, different attributes, different things to account for, and that's where the diversity comes. Every game tries to figure out where they can add without taking away and add new diversity to the player experience to keep it fresh right you have to especially if you're modeling yourself as a live service game which this definitely is rainbow six found their balance they understood that they don't need to be adding a fuck ton of maps and modes and new guns and uh, i mean sort of i mean they need to add some of that sure but they don't need to do that as much as they just need to add new operators because operators are the core experience they come set with a unique ability that no one else can replicate and they often come with either a unique gun within their subdivision unit or individually that no one else can have right so they found that bread and butter early on so Rainbow Six is a very good game. There's a lot of similarities, and it, and it can, well, of course, it could be monotonous. And you still want new maps, and they still came out with new maps. They reworked old maps to fit the meta, and they came out with, finally, new game modes and other modes to, to try or have for fun. And that's great. I think that's great for the longevity of that game, and since it's as old as it is, it's only, it's only warranted for that. But, but my point is that the bulk of it, the true gameplay-changing elements, are within the operators. Right? Yeah, you could be on a new map. You'll learn that eventually, and that's fine. That does help refresh some stuff, but you're still playing the same objectives. would be nice if we had some new, genuine, traditional 5v5 round-based objective ones instead of just secure area bomb and hostage. would be cool to have a fourth like that. But we have TDM. We have the arcade mode. We have some new stuff that we can spend time elsewhere in and have fun and kick back. So that's cool. But those operators changed it, man. If you were playing Glass versus Fuse versus uh, Blitz, you're having radically different experiences in Rainbow and different strategies and different utility to your team. That's what mattered. And different guns and weapons and primaries and specials and gadgets. All of that changes per operator. But it's still universally understood so you can still know how to do the basics, right? The gun, the shooting the mechanics, some of the basic gadgets are still universal. So... It was really cool to see that. So they figured that out. Right? Call of Duty does theirs in the sense of new maps and new game modes or returning maps and game modes, maybe favorites since it's such an established franchise, but new guns and new attachments. That's their fresh progression system. So if you get a new gun that you've never played with before and you kit it out in a certain way, especially if MW19 with its gunsmith, you radically can change the way you approach the gameplay loop, right? So that's how they do that. So each game is, is unique. Remnant 2, one of my favorite games of the year as well. The archetypes, similar to Diablo, though they let you switch between loadouts. As well as the guns, as well as the gun mods. Remnant 2 has... Remnant 2 is one of those games where, for people like me, if you want a refreshing gameplay experience every time you pick up the controller, because it's procedurally generated... Because you can re-roll areas. Because it has so many different paths and branching things where you could play through the entire campaign and beat it on a relatively difficult level. 
and still only experience half of the entire game because it's only generating certain areas for you to push through the campaign. And other people will have different experiences. So it takes multiple playthroughs to experience everything 100%. Plus with the gear and the archetypes and the hidden little treasures, trinkets, and, and, and loot, it's insanely fun and complex. But it's not overly complex to where you can't understand it. It's just deep. And it allows a lot of replayability. And not every game needs that, though. There's plenty of games that are perfectly fine the way they are. Rocket League, for example. Though it is exciting when Rocket League introduces a new game mode, a new arena, and a new fucking car hitbox. That would be cool. But other than that, it doesn't need much. Its gameplay loop is consistent. It is supposed to be accessible. So it is each their own, right? But with Diablo especially, we already have this open world map. It's huge. It would be nice to have some new dungeons, some new enemies, some new bosses, of course, new loot, right? New skill trees, skill points, attributes, and new mechanics. That's always good. But genuinely, the thing that changes Diablo and makes it a fresh, fun, and exciting experience, in my opinion, is when you play a new character. So let's get into the future of Diablo 4 and what I hope to see and what I think we will see with its future content going into 2024. Here we go. The future of Diablo 4. Is it bright? Is it dim? Is there hope or light within? I don't know. Um, it's only six months into the game. This is the type of game that can be going on for years and years and years, which is why I really am stressing and emphasizing. Not emphasizing. I don't have emphysema. Em emphysema? Anyway, it's uh, why I'm stressing that. That's why I'm saying six months, six months. I keep saying that because this game hasn't even been out a full fucking year. Diablo 3 came out in 2012 and got continuous update support, seasonal content, expansions, and updates until 20. Well, it's, it's still getting seasons. It's still getting updates to this day. But it got its, I think it's safe to assume, it got its final full paid expansion, if any, just one, the Reaper Souls one, in 2016. Oh, no, and then it got another update to that in 2018, if I'm not mistaken. I'm going off memory here. Um, so, like, three years after the fact, and it was a huge expansion. It w I mean, it was back in the day when, yeah, updates and bug fixes and all that, but not, like, radically changing gameplay defying changes to a game would happen year to year month to month like we see with Diablo 4 as well as it added new characters a new storyline a new campaign cutscenes weapons gear customization all these things right it was a massive expansion and it overhauled a lot of the mechanics of the game so there's one in 2016, and then there is another one more sizable chunk update in 2018. And so the whole big Diablo 3, like Reaper of Souls collection, comes bundled with everything. I got it bundled with everything in summer of 2020. And to this day, it's still getting seasonal updates. Now, I don't think it's going to continue for much longer, and but that's impressive. A decade worth of updates bug fixes, balances, tweaks, and new seasons. 
And also, for those of you who have not played Diablo 3, it's a great game. It's very fun. I mean, Diablo 4 is mechanically, gameplay, graphic-wise, and fidelity superior, right? But one thing that Diablo 3, that also when that Reaper Souls expansion came out, it overhauled its graphics and its fidelity and updated its gameplay mechanic. I mean, it changed a shit ton. Because when you watch the Diablo 3 base game, Excuse me, gameplay when the base game first came out and then when the expansion came out, it it almost looks like a new Diablo. It's not. It's still Diablo 3, but it's incredible the changes that it, that it underwent. So there's that. And then um, I think it's also just incredible that it's still getting seasonal support. It has... So we have... It's different in Diablo 4 because Diablo 4 is open world. Diablo 3 is not open world. You're bouncing dungeon to dungeon, level to level, section to section. It's a radically different experience. It's open spaces, but you're in between loading screens for the bulk of it. And yeah, you get a loading screen when you fast travel in Diablo 4. It takes two seconds to load. I mean, we're talking minute-long, old-school loading screens, right? And it's dope. It's, it works for that. But with the open world, it's called World Tiers. Right, and the nightmare dungeons in Diablo Four are the equivalent of the uh, of the rifts in Diablo Three, right? They're very similar. But with Diablo Three, because it was more sectioned off as a level-based thing, we had a metric fuck ton of torment levels. I think there's fifteen. So essentially, after the base game and the vanilla first four level tiers there's an additional 14 to 15 or so maybe a little less but there's like 15 to 20 total difficulty levels in diablo 3 and it didn't start like that mind you it grew that over time as people hit level caps and expanded and all those things right and it has seasonal things but the interesting thing about the seasonal stuff in diablo 3 at least when i joined in and i had a friend of mine who was into diablo much longer got me into it and we didn't really play much together just because of time constrictions and life and covid was happening all these things so i mostly played by myself but he gave me some basic tips I remember he explained to me, this is years ago now, but there's a friend of mine who explained this to me a while ago, before I even got the game, that the season that he was explain I mean, he, so this friend, and I won't disclose his name just for privacy, because I don't, he doesn't consent that, he doesn't know about this podcast channel, old friend, I haven't talked to him in years, uh, but anyway, he told me about Diablo. He said he was playing it at the time, and this must have been when I was 15 or 16, long, almost 10 years ago. <laughs> and, um, and I'm like, do you still play it? Because I know it's a few years past. He's like, oh yeah, he's, he was explaining me. That. He was like, yeah, I'm, I'm a paladin for this season. And I'm like, this season? I'm like, they're still doing updates? And he's like, yep. I'm like, they're doing seasonal updates. He's like, yep. He's like, and you choose a new character every season, and you just try to rank them up. And then he's like, but there's Paragon points, and so that gives you reason, all these things, right? Similar to what we have in DL before, of course, but way more expanded and more plentiful. But there was this interesting psychology to it that really caught my eye. And 
now that I'm talking about this now, I haven't thought about this conversation in ages, but it's now all coming to me. It's crazy. For Diablo 3 and a lot of the community, and from what I understood as I was playing it and looking into it and researching it and learning about it as I was playing it, and taking from what my friends said and what some other peers of mine who I knew played the game said before, the way they talked about seasons, the way they talked about how that worked, it wasn't a chore. It didn't feel FOMO. It didn't feel pressured. It was natural. It was organic. It was by choice. And it was something to pride yourself on. It was setting a leaderboard. Because I think there were leaderboards. So it was just like, oh, I'm building this season. There is these massive seasonal challenges. And it was like, it was foreign to me. I'm like, wow, wait, you're restarting, you're restarting everything, essentially. Almost everything, right? You're doing a full new character. You're just fucking hauling ass on a timed event, essentially, to get to the top of the leaderboard to beat your previous season record to unlock some special stuff that is account wide right cosmetics and maybe a few gear pieces and stuff that are universal and but especially the cosmetics there's dope cosmetics that were tied to it based on the characters you were playing and so if you did that you get dope cosmetics you get to be on top of the leaderboard you get to beat your previous record and the stats all showed it how many monsters you killed, how well you did, how, all those things, right? And then, maybe not everything. I mean, I mean, I might be a little inaccurate. First of all, it's been four years since I've played the fucking game, or three years since i played Diablo 3, and I don't think I ever got far enough and stuck with it long enough to get to the seasonal content. I beat the campaign, I went through the end game. I maxed out one character, I loved it, and then a lot more games came out and I got distracted. And I decided, well, I love this game. It's one of my new favorite games, but I'm going to take a breather. And since they were announcing Diablo 4 around that time, I was like, oh, wait. <laughs> so I didn't get the full experience like so many. But my point is, the seasonal thing was a, an exciting challenge for those who already beat the base game. And the base game was a lot. It was a campaign and end game. And for each character. And so the seasonal was in a time... In a way to invite you to try a character you might not have tried before, or a playstyle with that said character you might not have tried before. And then beyond that, there's extra incentive. Dope cosmetics, leaderboard, all these things. Right? And and they didn't do this just to... There was no season pass. I mean, there there was later. They started adding that later. But it wasn't... They didn't do it solely for the purpose to monetize a cosmetic route. They did it to incentivize people to keep playing their fucking game long after the credits roll. That's why we have live service. It's for the functionality to keep players engaged in your game instead of leaving your game to the dust and forgetting about it. Now, there are games that don't have seasonal content update that are so well made, people will always come back to them. Skyrim, Mass Effect, the Resident Evil series, Elden Ring, or really any from software game, depending on the individual. Um, you know what I mean? It's things like that. You just make, if you make a good game, and this goes for anything, and this is harder to do, you know, easier said than done, of course. Oh, just make a, make a historic game that people won't want to put down <laughs> gta 5 right you know what i mean so like people will play the game if they love it and if it works and all that 
And people will come back and play it, regardless of the mechanics at play. As long as the mechanics don't make it more difficult for them to get into and play or keep playing, right? So, it's not a requirement for every game to have some season pass, to have some sort of longevity roadmap. I mean, for fuck's sake, Elden Ring hasn't dropped a new piece of content since last year. In December of last year, they were like, oh, here's the Coliseum update. And I'll be honest with you, it's dope. I'm not using it that much, it's just a... It's just, it's really cool. It's just you go in a coliseum and you can duel with people online or with your friends. So it's just, it's now a, a controlled space that you can use to have some focused PvP encounters if you choose to do so. That's it. That's all it was. And then, of course, they've had bug fixes. They've had balances, right? They've had some quest mar uh, or uh, merchant markers. Small things like that. They made it so the, the, the bells that you unlock for smithing don't you don't always have to uh find them once you get a new game going thank god so some quality life improvements right so that's all elden ring's done and it's been almost two years and me and my friends still play that game we have beaten every boss we have explored every avenue we have 100 percent completed that game i've never completed such an incredible game before that is as expansive in depth and as complicated as elden ring is and i'm proud to say i 100 percent completed that and I'm proud to say that I've beaten it multiple times on top of that. It's a great game. It deserves to be loved and played by many. But here's my point. We're still playing it today. They don't, they're not dropping new content. There's no seasonal content roadmap. There's no cosmetics. There's no microtransactions in that game. I also want to point that out. Elden Ring has absolutely no microtransactions in the game. Once you buy the game, you play the game, everything in the game is yours to figure out. It's a... Call me old school, but I prefer that. Now, to be fair to Diablo 4, all the main key components of what you're playing is there. You don't need to buy anything. But if you choose to buy something, you might get some cooler cosmetics, which it's cool. You also still unlock some dope cosmetics, so don't stress it. It's not like Fortnite where it's like, if you don't buy a dope cosmetic, you're stuck with the default. No, you 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 unlock some pretty fucking awesome cosmetics along the way as well. But they'll never be as cool as the ones that you could buy. I will say that. The ones that you could buy in the past or in the shop are always better looking than not. So, yeah. So the whole ethos of the live service seasonal content update model has changed in the approach to such because back in the day when my friend was talking about diablo 3 seasons it it was a challenge it was something he chose to do he felt enticed and excited to do it but he never felt pressured that he needed to because he said to me he's like yeah I'm, I'm doing that on my seasonal build i'm like your seasonal i'm like you have a default he's like yeah i got my default build that i, I like to just fuck around with and i'm just trying to get all the stuff for it so i'm like You've got two Diablo builds. Mind you, I never played. I I didn't play the game at the time, and I was a I was a teenager, right? So I was into Wolfenstein and 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 COD and you know first person shooters like that. Battlefield, Rainbow Six Siege. I was really into Rainbow Six Siege at that time. So I still am. I love that game, but but my point is I wasn't into those kinds of games yet. I thought I was too stupid to figure out how those games work. Unbeknownst to me. I was completely wrong. It was not that complicated. I thought 
Diablo for the longest time when I was little. I thought Diablo was like this uber complicated game. It is complicated. There are some mechanics and things that, that are more complicated than your casual game, but it is not that difficult. If you are a... If you are... I'd say if you're... Unless you, unless you really don't like those types of games, that's fine. But if you're over the age of 15, I'm pretty sure you can figure it out. Even if you're younger than that. Kids these days are pretty smart. Even if you're younger than that, I'm pretty sure you could probably figure it out. Though it may not be as enticing. I understand the patience that it takes sometimes to figure out some of these mechanics isn't always as exciting. I do understand that, so that's okay. But anyway, so to me, that's that's one thing, one big thing to note, right? And so there's a difference between paid DLC and seasonal content updates. And it's important to distinguish and to, to understand why they're different and how they function because if you don't you're gonna be disappointed now let's talk about the future of diablo for real now that was all to kind of preface how it feels because nowadays i got no problem with these content updates as i said there's not that much content but i improve i enjoy the improvement in the quality of life and i enjoy some of the new content now before they announced this new dlc expansion that's coming out late 2024 which we'll talk about in a second I was under the impression that these seasons would act as a new way to inject actual tangible content, not just a little slice. Oh, here's some extra quests and a few bosses. That's all well and good. That's fine. But like actually, oh, new characters, new regions, truly new bosses, a new addition, uh, a new act to the campaign, actual tangible content with depth, new characters, new skill tree, like genuinely making this game live service making this game grow from its base starting point once again we're only six months in so it's really not a big deal that they haven't done this yet i'm not stressing it because technically by the time that this expansion should drop if their timetables are right it will only be a year and a half whereas like with diablo 3 it was like three to three and a half years before they dropped the paid expansion so they're moving quick <laughs> They're moving quick. We don't have to wait two or three years till we get a full-blown expansion. We're getting one. They've already announced it with the teaser trailer. And it's announced for next year. Which, by the way, that begins in a month. Now, of course, it's late next year. So I'm, I'm suspecting we're going to be looking at a October, right? Because the devil, Halloween, all that spooky, spooky. Right? And that keeps it right before Black Friday. And that still keeps it in range to be ripe for the holiday season for those kids who want to uh, ask parents for extra cash for the expansion. I presume it'll be $30. I hope to God it's nothing more than that. If, if it's anything more, it has to be a substantial amount of content and I can accept $40, no more. It cannot be half the price of the base game if it's not half the amount of content. And I can't fathom it would be half of the amount of content. If they if they attach another world that's almost as big as this world map and complex and deep with all new, um, well, they won't because we already know what they're doing. They're going back to and please don't please don't throw stones at me here. I've never played Diablo one or two, not really. I mean, I played a little bit of it and I want to go back and buy the OG ones. I'm not gonna. I'm gonna wait till they're on Game Pass next year, but um. It's a place from Diablo 2. Kurset, I'm so sorry. 
for those who, who love Diablo 2, I know that's most Diablo fans' favorite Diablo game. I, I mean, no offense, I just haven't played them. But apparently the region that we're going back to is called Cursat or whatever. It's a play, It's an OG place, so they're, they're bringing back the classics, essentially, turning back the clock, right? And it's called Vessel of Hatred. And they are specifically saying late 2024, which means anywhere, in my opinion, well, it's a big company. If they mean fiscally, which I don't think they do when they put in a gameplay trailer, but if they're trying to hit a fiscal thing, because the fiscal year ends in October, for some stupid fucking reason. So, um... They could be doing that, but that doesn't make sense. In a gameplay trailer, the time they mean is the 12-month traditional calendar that people are running off of, not companies. So, uh, it's safe to assume anywhere between October. It'll be, actually, no, it makes more sense. It That DLC that they're dropping, it will not be within the fiscal year of 2024. It will be right after, so it will be in October. Technically, by the way, folks, we are already in the fiscal year of 2024. It's past October. It's November now. So it's almost December. So anyway, um, but by, I, I, I think the fiscal year, I think it's October 1st is when the fiscal year ends. So I presume it'll be roughly mid-October, much like we had this season two. This came out October 17th for season two. I would not be surprised if they did it around then. Between then and, and November, I do not think they'll do it after Black Friday. I think they'll do it right before Black Friday. That way you could buy the game on sale, but the DLC will still not be on sale. So that'll incentivize new players altogether to get into the game. And they'll be getting a bu well, they'll get in it they'll get a deal, right? They'll get the game half off and they'll get the DLC full price, but that will still mean the full bundle is considerably less expensive than if you were to purchase both right now at full price if they were both out right so that's just pattern wise knowing activision knowing blizzard knowing how the economics of video games work and sales that's what we're probably looking at we're looking at most likely uh october to november i would say between october 15th um to november 15th it will be the most optimal time frame we'll get this new full-blown paid DLC. We will keep getting seasonal updates, content changes, fixes. Here's my problem with that. Now that I know that they're doing a paid DLC, I've got no problem with them doing that. But the problem now is that they are not going to add enough new content by the time we get there. You're telling me I gotta wait essentially an entire year because in exactly one year from now, I could I could see the DLC being out and me playing it. Great. That's fine. And I will definitely be talking about it then. Good Lord. If I make it to next year, we'll see. We'll see at this rate where I am in a year. Jesus. So much has happened in this past year. It's in fucking insane. It's just frightening to look back on how much has changed in just one year. But anyway. So what I'm getting at is that's a lot of seasons. That's uh, another five seasons. That's four to five more seasons of content being drip fucking fed. Quality life improvements, great. But we need a few more pieces of content. So, yeah. 
And here's the problem Diablo's going to run into if they don't figure their shit out. Because there, there's this gap, right? No problem with the DLC content. I am not doubting that they are not going to have a shit ton of content. I feel like it's going to be a n- massive new region. If not a whole new map. It's going to be like one to... F- at least one, if not two to four new playable characters with their full skill trees. A bunch of new skills, balancing, rework. A shit ton of new gear, weapons for all classes. Uh plethora of new enemy types, end game bosses, new seasonal quests, events. I mean, we're going to see a fuck ton of content. Like, if you maxed out and played everything in Diablo 4, oh, also we're going to see new world tiers. Most definitely we're going to see, like, world tier 5, 6, 7, 8. Uh, hopefully, at least that. Four more world tiers. And they're going to raise the level cap to most likely 200. That kind of makes sense, right? Um... And not for skill points, but for paragon points. They're going to expand paragon trees. They're going to add another paragon board or two. I could definitely see everything just being heightened. Difficulty ramped up. And most likely a new, if not two new types of rarities beyond unique. Which I can't help but think they have planned. To really make it satisfying. Just fucking way overpowered things. That's what I assume we will be getting in something in that kind of scale and amount of content, right? So enough content to bring players who have exhausted their time in the game for 100 to 200 more hours, right? That's what I'm assuming we will hit with this uh, this vessel of hatred or whatever it's called. But the problem is, we have to wait an entire year. And if the content is being drip-fed at this pace, and there is not enough significant reasons to, for players to get back into the game, they're burned out, we've got an entire year of new games and new things coming at us, we got life, all these things, right? And we have the highest contender in the ring against Diablo, the only other franchise that has a fighting chance at knocking the shit out of Diablo. Not in terms of sales, because it's a free-to-play game, but in terms of longevity, community, impact, and eventually, yes, sales through their microtransaction policies, which is fine, because it's a free-to-play game, so it's a little different, is Path of Exile 2, and I cannot help but think they will be launching this game in the summer. They could delay it. I hope they don't. But it, it's abundantly clear they're almost ready. So they'll probably start f- testing more and more. They'll probably have open beta in the spring. They'll probably launch in uh, the summer. And that way they have their foothold and they're established and they take up the void and they use the blank space and not competing with the biggest contender, the granddaddy of the franchise, of the genre, I should say. In that way, they're shortchanging Diablo 4's first paid expansion. Because if you can get people hooked in Path of Exile... First of all, Path of Exile 2 looks fucking phenomenal. I cannot wait to play that game. It looks great. It looks fun. It looks very deep and intricate. It looks like they know how to listen to their community. I, I have enough experience now where I'm, I'm really interested in sinking my teeth into something a little more adult and mature and complex. Even though, I mean, Diablo is not kiddish at all it's 
also very complex and adult and mature, but I'm looking to sink my teeth into something even more so. So if Path of Exile 2 comes out, which I highly recommend anyone who likes Diablo, anyone who likes ARPGs and doesn't know any better, check out Path of Exile 2 trailers and gameplay. It looks like they're almost done. So if they come out by summer of next year, of 2024, uh, which is, by the way, that's in six months. So that if they come out on in the first week of June, that means that's on the one-year anniversary of Diablo 4 coming out. And that is I what, what I would assume is four to five months before... Diablo's expansion comes out, that four to five month window, Path of Exile 2 can dominate and make Diablo hurt in terms of sales and in terms of player retention and player count. Just depends on the marketability. It is a more complex game. It's not going to get the casual gamers the same way. And it's not going to make you drop Diablo. I still love Diablo 4. It's one of my favorite games this year. And I'm still going to want to play. It's different. They're they're very similar in a lot of ways, but it's still different. So, there's nothing wrong with having two similar things doing their own thing, right? Two, two similar games doing their own style. Nothing wrong with that. But I'm just saying, this is their, their most toe-to-toe competitor that they'll ever see in the ring. And they, the Path of Exile 2 has been in development for a very long fucking time. They are ready to come out swinging and knock the shit out of... Diablo. Most people were tired of Blizzard, tired of the corporate policies, the mechanics, and tired of the simplicity, have switched to Path of Exile and solely play Path of Exile 1, which is a way outdated game. So, yeah. And if I assume it'll, it's going to be free to play, but I assume it'll be cross play, cross progression. It was originally going to be just combined with Path of Exile 1, so those who had Path of Exile 1 didn't have to worry, just had a massive update, game size worth update, right? But but it became so big, so expansive, they had to make it its own standalone download sequel, which I think is fine and I think is better because it allows them to remarket themselves for the people who missed out a decade ago. Fresh entry, right? There's no problem with that. So, with all that being said, What's the future of Diablo 4 hold? I hope we just get more quality life improvements and a better mixture of content. I understand they're saving a lot of new, big, exciting content for the seasonal expansion, but they're going to need to have something sprinkled in between to keep us strung along. If they do not drop a new character, and listen, here's the thing to me, and a lot of people are like, well, they can drop this character, this character, just like, three or four other classes that they have had in their previous franchise history, if not more, that they could definitely do. In fact, it's it's a no-brainer. They most likely have it planned. It's just probably going to be in the paid expansion. That's fine, but, like, they're not coming up with any new classes? They have to have been, right? So my idea is, like, let drop the Crusader and the Paladin... Drop those two classes with their expansions and paragons sooner rather than later. Do one hell. Do one now. Do one, or not now, do one in season three. Start of season three, January. Drop a new fucking character. If they did that, mixed with the new seasonal content and the quality life improvements, oh my god, they just bought themselves so much more longevity. And then, on their one-year anniversary, 
drop the other one. Why? They have to stay alive and competitive and keep retention and keep players coming back. Listen, in this day and age, you're never going to have that many players. You're not going to have the majority of your player base stay on just your game for forever. If you keep them for three to six months, that's a good sign. If you keep them for a year, that's ludicrous. That doesn't happen. So kudos to you. Everyone changes games. New games come out. New systems come out. New interests come out. Life happens to people. They can't always game. These things happen, right? So for a game that is not going... We're not going to see Diablo 5 for a while. Now, I don't think it'll be another 10 years. I think it'll be a 4 to 5 year span. But still, that's a fucking while. So until then, we need content. They start off strong. They have a lot of content. It, I haven't even maxed out a character, right? So you might be thinking, well, you're one to talk. Yeah, but I've done the campaign so much. I've done every character. I've still got probably a quarter left of excitement, intrigue, new things to ex explore and discover. But it's simply not as fresh and not as exciting and not quite as addicting as it was in the first three months. How could it be? It's not a new game anymore. I've put so many hours into it. it I'm used to it. And that's okay. Well, we've got the Elden Ring DLC coming out. We've got a shit ton of games coming out next year. There is a lot to battle against. And don't get me wrong, Diablo 4 sold great. It's, a, it's its highest selling game in its franchise history, apparently. I don't know how believable that is, but apparently it is. Great. It was huge. It was a huge launch. It was in the dead of summer. There was nothing competing with it. It was in June. Everyone, kids were home. High schools were home. College students were home. A lot of people had time off. A lot of people had more flexibility in their schedule. And a lot of people were waiting. Waiting for this game to come out. The amount of buzz and hype and the amount of incredibly positive reception in the first two weeks was astounding. Yeah, the servers were a pain in the first few days. But once people got through that, people were loving this game. Why? Because it worked, for one it had a lot of content, it played well, it looked great, it made sense, it was fun. It was the full package. If you have paid and played Diablo 4, you know damn well it was worth every penny. You haven't wasted a dollar. They're not shortchanging you. This isn't a bad game. This is a well-made game, and it deserves to be uh, acknowledged as such. But the question in all of our minds at the time was, okay, now what? Right? What, what's the first season look like? What's the second season? What's the first three seasons of a game when it has a live service model look like? Because those first three seasons are very telling of what's to come and how the pacing is going to be. Right? First season's always rough. Things are getting changed. People aren't used to the change. People are getting mad, as always. I was not surprised by that. Season two irons things out. People start having faith. Season three is where it makes or breaks people. If you haven't noticed that, look at every fucking game that has a season and look at season three and look how pivotal it was, right? It doesn't mean it kills the game. It just means people will stay on board for the year, right? And usually the game launch plus three seasons, right? That's four seasons. That's three months per season is the average length. That's a year. So that third season is the defining factor. And it may not be a full year, right? But it's the rest of that year based on... So the third season starts... January 24th. So it, by the time the third season is over, 
The game will be nine months old. Not that long, but still long enough for people to know if they're going to keep with it. And by that time, Path of Exile 2 is on the horizon. So, unless it gets massively delayed or something happens. But my point is, it really does matter what they do with the rest of this season. And then how they close out this year. Even though it's not a full year, this is the first year Diablo 4 has been out. It's really important to see how they finish this year off. Season 2 is strong. And how they start the new year. In late January, we'll get the new update. What all will it bring to the table? Because I'll tell you, if it's a few... If it's the same fucking thing as the last two seasons... Oh, it's a new thing, a new element, temporary element, a few new endgame bosses, a new seasonal side quest, a new season pass, and a few quality of life changes and bug fixes. You're not going to be able to sustain as many people. I love Diablo 4. I didn't jump right in on season two. I have no problem with it. It was just bad timing. And it was just like one of those things where I was like, oh, okay, I'll get around to it. And I'm glad I did. I jumped in. I'm like, this is really fun. I'm glad. So the changes they're making are substantially improving the quality and the fun factor of this game. And if you're new to the game and you haven't touched it at all, God bless you because you're actually entering in a time where a lot of things have been ironed out. And it's very fucking fun to play. And like I said, I haven't even done the Sorcerer. I haven't even got the road past level 25. And when I did that, that was preseason. That was within the first week of the game coming out. That was back in June. So to me, Rogue and Sorcerer are still two viable paths for me to play where I have no clue what's to come. And that will be very exciting. Plus the fact I've never maxed out a character. So pushing through the end game of World Tier 4, which I'm doing this season with my Druid, with my guarantee that I know. And I'm trying a new build with him. So I'm still getting a lot of new, refreshing, and exciting experiences out of it. And I feel like a lot of people are as well. So they've got time. But there's other factors at play. So I'm really, really, really curious what comes next. As I think we all are. Also, I think three months for Diablo is too long for these seasons. I mean, it's okay for the seasons, but there has to be something in between that happens. Why can't we have more temporary events? Uh, add some more world bosses. Add more dynamicism so when people are playing for hours. But the biggest thing is, I, I think this is the biggest thing. They add, they add content, they add things, all that, that's fine. But everything I'm talking about, the reason why, I, the, the kind of changes I want, like with new characters, new skill trees, new genuine consistent enemies, not just temporary for the season, um... New dungeons, new areas. All that is permanent gameplay additions to the loop. If we got a new way of doing Nightmare... I don't even know how that would work. But if we got new Nightmare Dungeon objectives, um, new locations, uh, new hordes, mobs, and, and boss types in Nightmare Dungeons, just... A little bit, just a few new aesthetics, a few new layouts of dungeons, um, a new reward path maybe tied to it, or a new dungeon system like Rifts, which were a little different from Nightmare Dungeons, but not too different. I don't know. But my point is, if we did something like that, if you added something like that, um, more world bosses, more butcher types. Like, I know there's the vampire one, but not just seasonally tied. Like, 
Add three or four types of enemies that are like the Butcher that give you insanely good rewards. They come around only every once in a while, and they are genuinely a threat. Because when they come in, they shake up the game. It is always exciting to fight the Butcher. Because it's a new challenge that you can't duplicate instantly. You have to wait. And you sprinkle that in with enough of your choice to duplicate or retry or do something again. And you have a diverse set of options at your gameplay disposal. And then, of course, with skills, trees, skill points, all that, and new characters, that allows you to have direct personal control over exploring new ways the game can be played and tackled. And there's a lot to this game, and it's an exciting thing to uncover and, un and, and discover and, and learn. But I just wish it was more. I really do. More substantial content. I don't need it right now. I've got. I've still got plenty on my plate. But I just mean soon. And if they and I and my fear is, and I genuinely think they're just going to wait until the full DLC expansion before they add that substantive content. And that's okay. That's expected. But if they do that, they're risking a lot, because they're waiting a whole nother year with trickling updates. Good updates, quality of life that make this game exponentially more fun to jump into. With new legendary aspects and gear and new uh, temporary regions and endgame bosses. Don't get me wrong, they're adding content. This game is radically different than when it was six months ago. Don't get me wrong on that, but I'm just saying it's not a lot and it's not permanent. All the vampire shit's going to go away in two months. That's okay, it'll be replaced with something else. And I like this season way more. <laughs> You know, adding that other region, not just having these stupid-ass malignant tunnels and malignant hearts. I, I just think this is a much stronger way. And the and the few enemies they have added and the endgame bosses are not only more challenging, but far more rewarding and fun to fight against. So if they keep it up like that, at the very least, I won't complain too much. But we will have to see, because I do love this game, and I really hope that I can continue to make these episodes on this game. But that's only dependent on if this game does enough to keep me wanting to come back for more. But for now, and especially through winter, and since I'll be chilling a lot, or, well, trying to, and not explode and die in the process, uh, I do find myself, I, I will find myself coming back to this game, especially as seasons come out. Seasons are also a good reason for people to come back and try the game again, to come back into it. Right, we, we play games for hours, we have hundreds of hours sunk in, we make all this progress, and we call it quits. We might beat the game, we might beat it twice and then we call it quits and we have no no malice for the game we just taking a break from it and then that new season comes out and so that also brings people to come in to at least be okay to check some some new stuff out what's going on over here what can i do here and that's fine but like i said in the beginning diablo 3 it was an exciting time to try to figure out and try to, oh, I'm going to run as this in the next season. I'm going to do this. I'm going to outdo myself, right? We need seasonal challenges, not just like, oh, here, here's some fucking rewards. We need leaderboards. We need ways for people to feel like when they jump into a season, they have three months to outdo how they did previously in that season. And by doing so, they will get rewards that will benefit them for the rest of the time as long as they play the game in general. That as well. Permanent cosmetic upgrades and maybe permanent stat boosts. Nothing much, nothing too dramatic, but something for the time to come into the season and do everything. I'm not saying that they don't get that if you complete all the seasonal quests. But just do a straight-up stats board. If you kill more monsters, 
in this season than you did last season, then you should get a 3% across the board on all accounts damage boost permanently. You should be 3% stronger in damage output forever. How fucking insane would that be? And then 5% if you do this many or whatever. It's okay to become overpowered in this game. Blizzard needs to chill the fuck out and allow people to try to become as overpowered as possible. Obviously to the... Where there's hopefully still challenge, but that's why they kept creating world tiers and or torment levels in Diablo 3. I mean, the hordes and the amount of power, the amount of numbers you were outputting in Diablo 3 when you spec yourself out, that shit wasn't balanced. Also, things didn't dynamically scale. That's the other reason why Nightmare Dungeons are the best. They're the most focused, the most concentrated. You go in, you do an objective, you kill massive hordes, and they've increased that and the difficulty. You get dope-ass rewards, you get good XP, it's concentrated, it's focused, it's easy to do. You're in and out, and it's exciting. The other reason why that's fun is because it's actually the only place where you'll be challenged, other than main bosses or special events, because the enemies don't dynamically scale to you. Everywhere else in the world, and this actually kind of makes sense because it's open world and you have drop-in, drop-out co-op, and I understand it now. Everywhere else in the world, the enemies are dynamically scaling three levels below you or three levels above you-ish. And they've improved that. That was my first biggest complaint when I first got the game. They've massively improved that, so it's actually way more fair and fun. Because Diablo is a game that is supposed to present some challenge, but only if you decide to challenge yourself. Otherwise, it should be fun with a little challenge. Not where it's like you're turning off your brain and just pressing a button and obliterating. But there should be times where you get a weapon or you get an ability or you get some feature. And you can do that. Especially to lower end enemies. There's nothing more exciting in Diablo 3 than getting some dope ass weapon and saying, I'm going to go back to this dungeon that fucked me over for an hour. And I'm going to just see how powerful I am. And you just go through and you level everyone. You feel like a god. Doom does this too. The power fantasy is okay in games like this. That's the point of it in some, in some aspects. That's the emotional resonance that players get when they complete something. The world tiers offer that to an extent. If you jump, if you're power leveled through a friend, now that they no longer gate you completely like it used to be, you have to be a level to even try the capstone dungeon, which will allow you to access the next world tier, and that capstone dungeon is difficult as fuck. That's how it used to be. Now, you don't have to be. You could go in and try to do the world tier 3 capstone dungeon if you're level 5. You could try. You will fucking fail. You will not be able to do it. Just statistically, it's impossible. But if you had help, if you had a buddy who was level 80 and another friend who was level 56, you'd, you'd be able to get through it. You'd die a lot. They'd have to revive you a shit ton. You wouldn't be able to do anything but sit in the corner, but they'll pull you through it. And you'll get so much XP, you'll level up to level 25 by the end of it. So you can do that now, thank God. They had that restricted, and now you can go in at your own cost. But with Nightmare Dungeons, when you pick up a sigil and you activate it, it'll tell you the level, it'll tell you the tier, the difficulty, some of the uh, special uh, presets to it, right? Um, if you're picking a tier something that will put you in a... I don't know, level 65 dungeon and you're only level 55? Guess what? Those enemies are level 65. They don't dynamically scale in Nightmare Dungeons. Whereas in regular dungeons, they will still be higher than you, but they'll be relatively higher. A few levels, not 10 or 15. When an enemy is 10 to 15 levels higher than you, you're, you got to tread lightly. You might be stomped. 
That's what I'm experiencing right now. I'm level 60 in World Tier 4. Folks, you're not supposed to be in World Tier 4 until you're level 70 to 75. I'm going against 75 to 78 enemies when I do Nightmare Dungeons in here. And I die so quickly. But because of some of these things I've gotten and the way I've built myself, I'm very fucking powerful. So I can actually offensively kill these things like I'm level 70. So I have the attack power of a level 70 and the um, 70 plus, and I have the defensive capabilities of a level 60. And that's where I'm getting fucked right now. But I know that. I could, I could scale back to World Tier 3, where I'm supposed to be. I'll obliterate people there. But I like the challenge. And that's just me. That's my personal choice. So to be able to have that is nice. So that's my point. The diversity. Where does this game go from here? Quality life improvements. Some content additions. And I think only those things uh, to focus on. Of course, bug fixes, balancing, all that. But those things primarily will keep the game going strong. So yeah. That's where I would hope to see Diablo 4. Um, so far, it seems to be treading in the right direction. They just have to stay on top of it. They really do. Because this is a lovely game, and I think a lot of people love it, but a lot of people are also not sure if they should be allowed or should continue to love it because of the things it's done in previous years, and as well as this year with, with Diablo 4 specifically. So we will see. I am excited for Path of Exile too. I'm excited to see how that shakes uh, things up. I'm excited to see the future of these updates. And as always... I'm more than thrilled to be able to do another episode like this in the future. So thank you all for listening. I appreciate your time, your support, your energy. It does mean the world to me. And I will see you next time on Psychic's Thoughts. Peace and love.